Yeah. Hello, everybody. My name is Tristan Mayer, and welcome to the ninth episode of Movie Changeup, where most of that big double digits. Every week here, we uh, have two people go head-to-head pitching reboots of nine movies we all love or just love to hate, but with an added little twist, because every week there's also nine new rules that they must follow. So one rule per movie, you can't, you can't use a rule more than once. I'll be the host and judge who determines who wins, but Bobby Sears, my consulting judge, who'll be helping me out, asking some questions, giving me some insight. You know, we, we battled it out last week, so now we're working together to get some revenge on these two guys. <laughs> Introduce yeah. yourself, Bobby. Say hello. Hey, how's it going? My name is Bobby. Yeah, I com- competed last week, got my first win, but uh, looking forward to helping Tristan and hearing some interesting pitches from the two initiators of the show. We have some top competitors, like you said, the two initiators of the show. Our first competitor currently has a four and one record. He's coming back from a little bit of break. He's hoping to get his fifth win tonight. Joe, introduce yourself. Say hi to everybody. Tell them how you're feeling. Yeah, I'm Joe. I'm one of the co-creators of this podcast. I'm uh, feeling a little nervous because Johnny has that repeat rule because he kicked my ass last time six to three. So he can basically, if he didn't like a rule on our list of nine rules today, he can rip one of them out and replace it with another rule on a list and is able to use a rule he likes uh, twice. So, yeah, I'm feeling pretty scared by that. All right, you teased it a little bit. Our other competitor is 3-1 and one coming off with a repeater rule. So that means, like you said, you can repeat one rule if one's just terrible or one's really good. He wants to use that one. He's coming off of judging last week. So, Johnny, introduce yourself and tell everybody how much you love the movie Cats. Hello, everyone. I'm Johnny Dupe, the other co-creator of this show. And, um... Yeah, my, uh, I haven't competed in a while. I feel I feel a little rusty. I was on vacation, and then I've been a judge a couple times. So it's been a few weeks since I kicked Joe's ass and got that repeater rule. But I look forward to hopefully doing that again. I'm hoping that gives me an advantage. I think I got rid of a rule. At least I didn't really know what to do with. Um, I'm excited to reveal that when the, when the podcast goes on. But I'm also interested to see what Joe does with all these rules. Because we had a fucking hard list today because we decided to go with basically like seven great movies and two not great movies when it's usually a nice, a better mixture. (laughs) All right. So before we start, if you're listening through a podcast app, go ahead and give us five-star review. Uh, We're working really hard on this. I'm sure you'll love it. It's perfect in every way. So give us five stars, five out of five. You think it's all right. Think it's okay. Five stars anyway, you know, (laughs) we're working hard on this. So if you're watching on YouTube, give it a like, give it a share. Send it to all your friends, get a subscribe. Tell us how wrong we are in the comments. Uh, so here we go. Today are nine movies. I'm scrolling down to the list right now. We've, like you said, some cr- pretty great ones. Start that off with my all-time favorite movie, Back to the Future. Enter the Dragon. Face Off. My Cousin Vinny. The classic On the Waterfront. Action Epic The Raid. Action Not So Epic, Ready Player One. Hockey Comedy, uh, Slapshot. And comic book failure spawn. So before we started, we had a, a competition, very intense to see who would go first. And the, the barely scraped by winner <laughs> was Johnny. So Johnny, what are we picking first? Uh, we're going to go with Tristan's all-time favorite, starting off with the, with the hit, Back to the Future. And I'm going to make Joe uh, pitch first. All right, right. Back to the Features, a 1985 classic. It stars Michael J. Fox as Martin McFly. He's a rebellious 80s teen who's accidentally sent back in time to 1955 in a time-traveling DeLorean. And back in 1955, he meets his teenage parents, George and Lorraine, and he must work with young uh, young Doc Brown to get him 
to assure his parents get back together and to get himself back home to the future. Back to the Future has 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. Too low. Very too low. I want to know who gave that negative, yeah, negative review. I do want to go through our rules first so you guys know what they're, what they're up against here. Uh, one must be set in the world of X-Men. One must use only dead actors. One must include a character made famous by Tom Hanks. One must be an NC-17 movie. One must be cast as a 1970s movie. One must be a whodunit. One must have a celebrity cameo. One must be an Alfred Hitchcock movie. And in honor of the sadly late Chadwick Boseman, one must star said Chadwick Boseman in their movie. So, Joey, you had enough time to delay. Let's hear your pitch for Back to the Future. All right. So my director for Back to the Future is going to be Ryan Johnson because I wanted someone who worked well with time travel before, and he made Looper, which is a really good time travel movie. So I went with Ryan Johnson. My Marty McFly is going to be Tom Holland. He's the current Spider-Man in the MCU. My Doc Brown is going to be Nick Offerman, who plays Ron Swanson in Parks and Rec. I wanted someone who gave a different vibe than Christopher Lloyd, because I felt like if you tried to recapture what Christopher Lloyd did, you're just going to fail. So I wanted to take it in a different direction, and he's going to play more of that grumpier role that Nick Offerman plays. My George McFly is going to be Asa Butterfield. Uh, He was in Ender's Game, and he's also in Sex Education on Netflix. My Lorraine McFly is going to be Lily Reinhart. She's currently on CW's Riverdale. My uh, Principal Strickland is now going to be Dean Strickland because I'm setting it in college instead of high school. It's going to be Joseph Gordon-Levitt because he always works with Ryan Johnson, so I wanted to throw him in there somewhere. My Biff Tannen is going to be Tanner Buchanan, who is currently on Cobra Kai. And then my Jennifer is Yara Shahidi. She was on Blackish and then uh, Grownish. So for my pitch, and this is definitely my longer pitch of the night. Uh, college student Marty McFly grew up without a, my father who mysteriously disappeared before he was born. Everyone assumes he was murdered because of the number of people who wanted him dead. A lot of things in my movie are still the same, like the clock tower being stopped because of a lightning strike, but now it's in the middle of Hill Valley University instead of just the middle of town square. Marty is hanging with his friend and professor who is a laughing stock of the school, Doc Brown. Doc is an inventor who has never made a working invention. Marty notices something large under a sheet and pulls it off. Doc Brown stops him and tells him, don't ever touch it. Don't go near it. Don't even think about remembering you ever saw it. Unfortunately for Doc, Marty saw just enough to see inside the window and see the words, time machine. Later that night, Marty goes back and takes the sheet off and sees Doc has attempted to convert a Nissan Cube into a time machine. I decided to go with a Nissan Cube instead of a DeLorean because I figured in 2020, no one in a world where Back to the Future doesn't exist, no one really has access to a DeLorean and there's no reason to make it a DeLorean except the original was. And I think the 2020 version of a DeLorean is a Nissan Cube. Uh, He takes the Nissan Cube and Marty decides he must go back in time to figure out not only who killed his father, but to try and prevent it. Because the rule I am using is I am making this movie a whodunit. He gets in the car and drives off. When he hits 88 miles per hour, he's shot back to the year 2000. He is surrounded by punk rockers and guys listening to Eminem and Limp Bizkit and girls listening to Destiny's Child and Britney Spears. He runs into his father, who is very much like him, but quite nerdy. He runs into his mom, who is a cheerleader for the university. He finds out they had a massive fight and broke up, something his mom has never told him about. Marty has to work on reuniting his parents while finding his father's killer. 
He talks to Biff, who his father recently stood up to and said he's not doing his homework anymore. He talks to Dean Strickland, whose motive could be that George recently quit his mathletes team. He talks to his own grandfather, who didn't think George was good enough for his daughter. Marty talks to a younger Doc, and since the cube is low on en- energy for the flux capacitor, they need to send Marty back on the night the lightning strikes the clock tower and harness the energy. Eventually, George, who follows Marty, finds everything out, including that Marty is his son. It's the night they're sending Marty back. Lorraine and George have made up. Marty is mad he never figured out who killed his father, but he at least warned his father to watch out. Uh, Doc, Marty, and George have everything set up to go when a cable becomes detached. It's too late. They have no time to restart. George connects the cable and Marty asks what he's doing, and his body won't be able to take that kind of energy. Doc says it will vaporize him. George says it's worth it for his son to continue his life. Uh, for Marty to continue his life, and Marty gets to 88 miles per hour as George connects the cable right when the lightning strikes, sending him back to 2020. Uh, He first goes and sees Doc, who hugs him and tells him he warned him not to touch the time machine. He then goes and talks to his mom, and they hug, and that is the end of my pitch for Back to the Future as a whodunit. Interesting. We went uh, pretty different directions with with our Back to the Future, and and I feel like the reason for that is we already have kind of the best version of what Back to the Future did as far as like a real fun comedy. Um, so I'm always going to have some elements of that. But uh, as you'll see from my pitch, it's going to be it's going to be very different from the from the original. So right off the bat, my director is Spike Lee. Um, and the only two people I well, I'll get into more through the pitch. But the two people I mainly I cast my Marty um, is Caleb McLaughlin, who is in. Uh, he's really good in Stranger Things. And my Doc Brown is played by Dave Chappelle. Um, so here's my pitch. Taking place at the end of March 1991, the country has been up in arms over the Rodney King beating earlier in the month. Marty is a kid from a poor neighborhood in Memphis, Tennessee. He is friends with the local inventor, Doc Brown, who nobody except Marty takes seriously. Doc tells Marty to meet him the next day. Um, because he has an earth-shattering invention and cannot wait to show Marty. The next day, Marty goes to meet Doc in an empty parking lot, where Doc shows off an old, specked-out DeLorean, which Marty laughs at, um, until Doc demonstrates the time-traveling power of his new invention. In the distance, police sirens are heard. Marty says to Doc, where exactly did you find this car? Doc responds, well, find is a strong word. The police come and Marty hides. He witnesses Doc put his arms up. He's confronted by the police saying uh, this car was reported stolen. Doc goes to reach uh, in his jacket to pull out the time traveling device uh, to try and show off his invention. But uh, as he reaches in his coat, he's shot and killed by police. Marty runs to the car and drives off. And the date is set 23 years back, March 30th, 1968. Marty goes back in time, wants to find Doc to be able to save him in the future um, while trying to solve this dilemma, Marty runs in, runs into Martin Luther King Jr., played by none other than Chadwick Boseman, um, who is to give a speech in Memphis in a few days. Um, Marty knows that this is when MLK will be assassinated and must choose between trying to prevent this terrible event, which will make him disappear uh, into non-existence for changing uh, the reality of time, or getting back to his life in the future again and save Doc Brown in the future timeline. So that's my that's my pitch for my version of uh, Back to the Future. Very different than than the original and very different than Joe's. 
Interesting. Yeah, two very different pitches that I think take the core theme and go in different directions with it. First off, Bobby, I want to hear your thoughts. And I think we have a live comment coming in as well. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, let's look at that live comment first. We have Angelica saying, I haven't seen a single one of these movies, and I'm excited to watch this week. I need to, I need um, to watch well, more movies with my fiance. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you can show her back podcast. At least show her back to the future. Yes, I was <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Spawn. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can skip Spawn. Yeah. But, no, this these were interesting pitches. They both went in directions I would not expect. Um, I pretty much understand the movies. I kind of want to get a little bit more of the tone of – Joe's as far as because Ryan Johnson has shown because you had mentioned Looper with time travel that one's very gritty uh, a little more you know uh, it's serious and then he he's done come kind of kind of wacky comedy stuff I just want to see where that kind of falls for yeah. this movie um, I feel like the, the tone is more like Knives Out but I didn't mention Knives Out when I mentioned Ryan Johnson because I kind of wanted to hide that mine was going to be a whodunit but it's yeah. more going to be uh, uh, a similar tone to Knives Out I think Okay. With and, like weird kind of over the top characters and everything. Yeah, and, and my only question for, for Johnny is just uh um it sounds like a very um kind of grim movie and the first one's so fun. I know you're trying to create a dynamic, but like uh I just guess I guess just kinda justify that pretty much. And but that's mine 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 is gonna be like the tone I would say of Black Klansman. It's a it's a dark storyline overall with historic events but there's plenty of comedy throughout. And a lot of it is black comedy in black Klansman. There are a lot of good laughs, even though it's a very serious subject matter because uh, Spike Lee is a good uh, director to be able to do that. Um, and that's why my doc Brown is Dave Chappelle. Um, Caleb is really funny in um, stranger things, but it's more of like the dry humor and going back and forth with each other. So I want to have kind of that more dynamic and Chadwick Boseman is going to be MLK, but even Chadwick Boseman, like as that role can kind of be a little bit of a smart ass in, in certain areas and aspects. So it'll be more of lines like that. It's not going to be like, Oh, this is a big laugh moment, but it will be, you know, more of the humor in it will be the characters going back and forth um, and things like that. But it's going to have obviously much more of a serious uh, tone overall. Uh, my question for Joey is around those two, the whodunit uh, premise. And you say by the end, you don't find out who killed the father. I'm wondering how you can. No, yeah. Cause what happens is I changed the, can the original back to the future, the rules of like, you can go back in time and change history. And I kind of changed the rules of time travel and back to the future to more make it bill and Ted rules. And it's him connecting the cable and getting like vaporized by the energy of the lightning uh, is what kills Marty McFly or M not Marty McFly, George McFly. And that's always what killed George McFly. So really it was Marty going back in time, trying to figure out who killed his father as what ended up killing his father. So that's how George died. Cause I said in the beginning, he it's never, it was never confirmed that he was murdered. It was just that he disappeared and it was always just kind of assumed that he was murdered. Interesting. And so that's. All right. Are we going to duke it out? Yeah, yeah so I got, I got two main problems with yours. Is okay. Tristan said you kept, like we both kept the like themes of Back to the Future, and I disagree that you did, because the original concept from Back to the Future came from Bob Gale looking at his dad's high school yearbook and seeing a picture of his dad and wondering if they would be friends. And the Back to the Future is all about like fathers and sons. And I understand there's like somewhat of that dynamic with Marty and Doc, 
but like his father is like not even in your movie at all. And then another thing is when we wrote the rule of the casting Chadwick Boseman, as we both explicitly said that Chadwick Boseman has to be the star of your movie. And he's, I mean, he's, he's a star of the movie. I mean, I I kept it, I kept it short in the, in the pitch, but I mean, he's playing Martin Luther King in my, in my movie. And, and we went through and we'll go through it whenever you cast Chadwick Boseman. But if you don't have Chadwick Boseman in like, a role that I feel like he would have done or he felt important, I'm going to knock you on it. And I was originally going to have him be the star of this movie, but I felt that having him play MLK is more something in the line of what Chadwick Boseman would have done in his career. And it's something we, you know, that's like the one role we didn't really get to see You know, he, he had a, he has a very famous quote about, I want to play characters that are important for the black community and that black kids can look up to and Every time I, I be in a role, I want it to be a role that, you know, 20 years ago, no one no one would have been been doing. You know, he played Thurgood Marshall. He played James Brown. Um, he was Jackie Robinson. And then he was Black Panther. And, you know, he him playing MLK would, would be great. And I think that's a plenty enough of a starring role. He's going to be in the movie. He's going to be taking over the dad role in my movie. So to address your point on that as well. Um, my movie is going to be about a kid who grows up with a single mom who doesn't know his dad and MLK is going to be the George McFly, um, type role when he goes back. Um, because he was, you know, a lot of people looked up to him as their, their father and their role model. So that's what, that's what Marty's going to look to him, him as. I can, I guess I can understand. I just was like in my movie, I wanted to stick more to like the father son of dynamic. And I understand like the pseudo father thing between doc and also Martin Luther King, but I wanted to do like a direct father son and i get i get that but we've seen it and yours doesn't really have that to me because it's about like the dad's murder like bringing that in is not really like back to the future you're just your movie just i mean that's in back to the future too though it's his dad dies and he goes and he goes back and prevents it his dad doesn't get killed Uh, yeah the headline is 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 george mcfly murdered and then yeah in back back to the future in Back to the Future 2, sure. Still, but this but isn't still, that movie. You can't say it's not Back to the Future when that's been a plot point yeah, but back in to a the Back fu- to but, the Future okay, movie. We're talking about the original one, which is the great one, and that's the one that you know he goes back and he has the relationship with his dad. Okay, if you're going to bring that into it, I want to see more of it from you, and, and I don't see that in your movie with all these characters in it. And, and I'm, I'm going to be honest. I mean, I don't know how our judges feel. I think they think a little differently, but... Knives Out was a disappointment to me. I don't need to see Ryan Johnson do another whodunit. Like, his whole movie is just going to be a commentary on Twitter again. Like, I don't need to see that. That was what Knives Out is. That's what this movie would be. And I don't need to see that in a Back to the Future. I don't need um, that type of political commentary. Mine's going to be mine's going to be taking place in 1991 and 1968 and demonstrate exactly what's still going on in this country. That's a, a powerful message. So if you're going to bring something into it like that, you know, have a have a good message and have a director capable of it. I don't think Ryan Johnson did a good who done it. Um and you just had him do another one but with more obscure Bill and Ted type characters and that doesn't fit the tone. You mentioned um Looper as his time travel, but Looper has nothing to do with the tone of Knives Out and has nothing to do with the tone of the movie you pitched. I think the tone of Knives or yeah, the tone of Knives Out fits fine with the movie I pitched. Of just like these, you said mine has like weird, over the top Bill and Ted type characters, but then it says it doesn't match the tone of uh, Knives Out, where Knives Out has a bunch of over the top characters, 
like uh but they're but they're character. like but they're not over the top characters they're they're then, very borderline they're like pitched as that but then when you see the movie nothing is very over the top and that's kind of what i was disappointed about i wanted more distinct personalities from the characters mm-hmm. and you didn't really get that so and and i think it and that actually worked fine for for the tone that the movie was in and people enjoyed it but no one's coming out of that movie being like oh man what a what a crazy performance by any of these people and you could have had that and you didn't i thought the problem was it was a little too subtle and your problem with your movie if you cast maybe if you had a different director i'd be more into it but i i think your the the plot you pitched doesn't match with the people you cast and it doesn't match with the director you pitched so that's that's kind of my thing with it. All right, I think yeah. I've put well, enough of this battling it out. I was going to have another uh, negative against his, but that was different than anything I brought up before. But whatever. Bring it up. Bring it up. I just, just, I was just, it was. It's just really short. I was just going to say that I think in a time travel movie, not having present day, but going from 1991 to 1968 might confuse a lot of people. I don't think so because you're going to start the movie with. Um, bringing in like the kids going to be watching the Rodney King riots and stuff like that. And then it's going to go back to 1968. And instead of dealing with bull, like a bully, like Biff Tannen, he's going to be dealing with, you know, this kid goes back to 1968 and deals with the racism in Tennessee um, and things like that and has to overcome. And at the end of my movie, he's going to decide to, you know, sacrifice himself and disappear, but save MLK. I just think it would be, and More he disappears from the photo just like in the original oh. one. So you're still going to have some ideas of it. I said what I said. All right. Any last quick thoughts from you? For me? Bobby. From Bobby. Uh, oh. oh, for me? Um, uh, I mean, basically, they were really close. I liked both movies. Um, but as far as if it came down to just my personal preference of a Back to the Future movie... Um, I feel like Joe's hit that tone a little more and sounded a little bit more fun um, and also kept the actual elements of Back to the Future, um, even though I did really like Johnny's movie. But as a remake of Back to the Future, I think I like Joe's more. Yeah, I'm leaning in the same direction here. Uh, I think you had a good cast, Joey, and, and, and I think Ryan Johnson could pull off that tone. I personally like Nights Out a lot, and I think uh, Back to the Future has very distinct characters, and I think Ryan Johnson could do a good job of painting those characters. Uh, Bobby, I, I really like your movie. I just don't know if it's a Back to the Future movie. And it he goes like Back to the Future. It is, <laughs> but it's not. I mean, it's it's not really about like him learning the same lessons that he learned in Back to the Future. It's it's and he changes. And we've seen it already. <laughs> Boring, lame, yeah, bad choice. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a close call for me, but I'm gonna have to go with Joey on the first one. You guys hate MLK. Yeah, and Chadwick Boseman. Yeah. Of course, that's that's exactly that's what that was. I believe we have a live comment or two coming through. If you want to pull those up really quick, yeah. Alex says, "Don't know if I like Offerman or Chappelle casting as Doc better." You like Chappelle better. He likes both of them. I like both of those. Has anyone on the show seen Dark on Netflix, and do you like it? I've I have seen, seen Dark. I've gone. I've tried to watch it. <laughs> I get a few episodes into it, and I get confused and start over, and then a few <laughs> years, I do the same thing. <laughs> I, I so haven't I've, seen it. I've never heard of it. I've heard of it, but I've never watched it. I'm I'm watching the boys right now. So, all right, Johnny, where, where are we going? going? Next? 
Uh, sorry, one second. Deciding or uh, distracted? Um, let's see. I got to pick what I, what to do next. I can't go to my like next strongest one. I was pretty confident in that one. It was good. I have the wrong judges. Oh. Especially with how bad Joe sounded. Um, let's go with uh, Enter the Dragon because that's just next on my sheet. And uh, I'll go first. All right, Enter the Dragon. It's a 1973 martial arts film directed by Robert Klaus. The film stars a legendary Bruce Lee as a martial arts expert determined to help capture the narcotics dealer whose gang was responsible for the death of his sister. Lee enters a kung fu competition in an attempt to fight his way to the dealer's headquarters with the help of some of his friends. Enter the Dragon has a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes, and it's one of the most profitable movies of all time. It made like 400 times its budget, which is pretty impressive. Hell yeah. It's a great movie. Bruce Lee's last movie, unfortunately. Um, all right, so Enter the Dragon, I think it's a classic. It's a good it's a good martial arts movie of old. Um, and uh, we do this uh, for a lot of movies, but uh, the best director for these type of movies nowadays, my director is Gareth Evans. Bad um, Yeah, okay. Shut up. He's probably your choice too. And my, um, uh, I, I changed the roles a little bit, but my lead monk is going to be played by Joe Taslam, who was, he was John Fast and the Furious. He was also in the raid, but he was like the bad, uh, the, one of the bad guys in it, I think he might have been the brother, and then the, he was in The Night Comes for Us. He was the lead of that, which you haven't seen on Netflix. If I can see it, it's amazing. And then my uh, main villain of the movie, uh, Kanuchi Harada, is going to be played by Donnie Yen. Um, and here's my here's my pitch. A young monk who has been trained in the mystical city of uh, Kunlun is given a mission to infiltrate a shady martial arts tournament led by a dangerous samurai named Kanuchi Harada. The hero monk enters the tournament to discover there are more than just martial arts fighters here. Their tournament is full of mutants. The young monk must use his powers of the iron fist to defeat the mutants and stop Kanuchi Harada, AKA the silver samurai. So my movie is going to be an iron fist movie that takes place in the universe of X-Men, which is my rule. Um, and I think it fits for not only the story of the original Enter the dragon, but for the, comics of uh iron fist and it's gonna have the blob played by vin diesel and Sabretooth played by simon yam from it man and a bunch of a bunch of appearances just by lesser known mutants in the in the tournament to see some cool powers and have like a martial arts tournament with with uh mutants which i think would be sweet so that's my movie joe all right let's uh I don't know how I feel about your rule choice but uh my director is uh Gareth Evans who directed the raid uh, you probably haven't heard of him in a long, long time. No one would ever mention him on this podcast. No one's ever pitched him. And the rule I used is, I was like, oh, what would make Enter the Dragon better? And I'm like, what if they all had mutant powers? Because I set my movie <laughs> in, in the world of I, I was worried we'd do the same thing. So replacing Bruce Lee, and all of these are actual X-Men, but for a lot of them, I wanted to go with more minor characters. So replacing Bruce Lee as our main hero is uh, Agent North. Uh, he has powers or he's an expert marksman, hand-to-hand combat. He can absor- uh, absorb kinetic energy and then redistribute it. And he has an accelerated healing factor. And I'm going to have Donnie Yen playing him. And then his agent on the inside 
it's gonna be uh it was a woman in the original it's a woman in my version it's aurora she can manipulate light and she has super speed and that's gonna be played by alexander daddario uh the main villain's henchman is gonna be Sabretooth, uh played by edge uh from wwe aka adam <laughs> copeland um, we didn't have to cast a wwe guy in this movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i thought he fit for Sabretooth. My, then I have uh, one of the other fighters in the tournament is going to be a wild child who has superhuman senses, speed, agility, reflexes, and then they also have fangs and claws, and that's going to be played by Daniel Radcliffe, a.k.a. Harry Potter. I also have through Wolverine in there, and that's going to be played by Logan Marshall Green. And then the entire tournament and then the is going to be ran by Sebastian Shaw, played by Bradley Cooper. So the plot of my movie, and this is probably my second longest pitch, uh, Agent North is tasked with entering an underground mutant fighting tournament on Sebastian Shaw's private island. Team X believes that Shaw is behind a lot of the illegal trafficking on the West Coast. He meets up with an insider, Aurora. The fighters are told not to leave their rooms, but North sneaks off in the middle of the night looking for evidence. North is spotted, but escapes. Shaw tasks his main guard, Sabretooth, with killing the other guards for being ineffective. Uh, North wins his first match, uh, the next day, Shaw talks to Wildchild, who also left his room the night before to exercise. Shaw beats him to death when he doesn't cooperate. Shaw eventually reveals his operation to Wolverine, who is expected to win the tournament. Shaw tells Wolverine if he doesn't join, he will imprison him and everyone else in the tournament. At first, Wolverine is interested until he learns what happened to Wildchild. Agent Norris sneaks out again to get a message out to Team X, but is captured. Shaw wants Wolverine to fight him, but Wolverine refuses. Wolverine then sticks Sabretooth on Wolverine and makes them fight. After Wolverine defeats Sabretooth, Shaw gets angry and tells all of his men to go after North and Wolverine. Aurora releases all of the island's prisoners who help Wolverine and North. Shaw runs away to a hidden room where he and North face off for the final time. North wins and he is rescued by Team X. And that's my pitch. Okay. All right. You guys, of course, went with the same rule and in the same director. So they're kind of similar movies, but I got a much better picture of what Joe's movie was because he went into a bit more detail. So I would definitely like to get some more detail from Johnny on his movie. If you can give me some detail on that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, mine, if you haven't seen Enter the dragon, he goes in to basically take down a drug kingpin through like entering this martial arts tournament. So mine's going to stick with a a similar plot, but he's going to go in expecting just like, okay, I can take down all these people. I don't need to use any of my powers and I'm going to go into this tournament and just see what's up with this dude that my, you know, monk uh, friends are telling me it could be a problem. And then he, he enters the tournament and realizes like he goes into the first fight and the dude, you know, is saber tooth and pulls out claws out of his fingers. And he's like, Oh, this isn't a normal tournament. Right. So then he has fights with, with mutants and he has to use his iron fist powers. Um, and he didn't think he would need to, um, and you know, Silver Samurai is the main villain uh, hosting the tournament, which fits way better than Sebastian Shaw to me. Um, if you know the comics at all, Joe's is all over the place. But I think a Silver Samurai held martial arts tournament makes sense. Um, there's a lot of good storylines for both Iron Fist and uh, the X Men that take place in like Japan and Asian countries. Um, and I want to see. Iron Fist played by someone who should play Iron Fist, which would be Joe Taslam, who can actually do martial arts, unlike the shitty Netflix shows and that terrible casting. So 
you know, I get that the comics, he's a white dude, but get rid of that bullshit and uh, make him someone who's good. Iron Fist should be an Asian character. So it's basically just to do that and to, um, to do it. He fits in well with, with the rest of the universe of X-Men that way, more so than Joe's. And it's a more well-known character. And it makes sense for Enter the Dragon because Iron Fist logo is literally a dragon. And Iron Fist is one of my favorite characters, and I love him. Uh, yeah, Joe, my one question for you goes along that line is that I think Agent North is not exactly a well-known Marvel character. I mean, people don't really know who he is, and what what was your thought process making him the lead of your movie? Uh, no one knew who the fuck the Guardians of the Galaxy were before that movie came out. And That's everyone's movie's... argument always, bad Yeah, argument. but still, but as long as the movie is good and you have Wolverine in there, people know who Wolverine is. People might yeah, but remember. If you have, but if here's my thing though, I, I know we're not at it yet. But if you have Wolverine in your movie, make him the lead. That's why he's not in my movie because he's not the lead. If you have Wolverine and he's a side character, your movie's pointless. He's basically the second lead in my movie. Yeah, make him the first lead and get rid of your Agent North. Like I'd rather see Wolverine fighting in a tournament than Agent North. But I mean, you still get all of Wolverine's fights in the tournament. You get Wolverine versus Sabretooth. It's not like you're never going to see Wolverine fight. Hmm. There's a bunch of X-Men movies where Wolverine's not the main character. Name one. I don't Other know. Other than I like the shitty of the new ones. Shitty ones. Yeah, like First Class, sure. But like that movie is bad when it introduces new people. And they're like, well, at least we have to include him in a cameo. But you need him either in like a cameo or post credit scene or not at all. Like that's my thing. You can't – there's no X-Men movie with Wolverine – as the side character. He's the lead in every movie that he's actually in. Yeah. And it's time to move on from that. Hugh Jackman's done. So don't have a minute, but I I wanted some recognizable people. I wanted one recognizable mutant that people knew. And then you said guardians of the galaxy is your argument. So either go one way with it or not. You can't have both arguments. I mean, you had, I don't know. They haven't even finished saying all their stuff and we got into it. So I I don't know. (laughs) Once uh, Tristan, did you have anything else? And Bobby, did you have anything before we fully go into our, yeah, you guys are ready to fight here, so I want to get yeah. some thoughts to Bobby before you guys launch off and you've been your battle. Yeah, I mean, my thought right away is a lot of what Johnny's argument was, where uh, his character that he chose and the story, I think, fits Marvel and the X-Men series way more than Joe's. Um, like Johnny said, it was a little all, all over the place as far as character choices and who's doing what. Johnny's fit everything, so I'm leaning that way right now. Um, so I, I just need to hear some arguments, I guess, to see if that sways me, but you know, I'm just kind of consulting. So that's my opinion right now. I'm also learning in the same way. So I think Joe, you got to put some, put some pressure on why you pick these characters specifically. And I think it, Joe, you have, you have an agent North that. figure behind you. No, cause I don't have any X-Men figures behind me, but if I did, <laughs> that, I'd fucking, I agent North was originally, he's been in an X-Men movie before. Uh, a terrible I'm not, one. I'm not going to yeah. say which one because yeah, name it, maybe. name it, Joe. X Men Origins Wolverine, but yeah, exactly. But it's time to bring him back. It's time to make him better. <laughs> like no, Daniel Henney originally played Agent North in X Men Origins Wolverine. We need Donnie Yen. Donnie Yen's the better version. People like Donnie Yen. Donnie Yen's a growing actor in the states, and I think people that saw him in Rogue One, a lot of people, Rogue One is their favorite Star Wars movie, at least of the Disney era, and having him as the lead is going to attract people. It's not like I threw a complete no-name as Agent North. They're going to see him as a mutant fighting people, and that's going to attract attention. So I don't think it really matters necessarily that he's not the most famous or even a top 100 famous X-Men character. 
Yeah, and you know what I did? I cast Donnie Yen as Silver Samurai, which is a better fit for his character. And at least Silver Samurai has some recognition for casual audiences because of The Wolverine, which they screwed up Silver Samurai. It's a movie no one watched. Yeah, but that movie made money. That wasn't X-Men Origins. You put someone in from X-Men Origins Wolverine, I put someone in from at least The Wolverine, which that movie being made led to Logan being made. Um, But... I, I think Donnie Yen fits better for like Silver Samurai. He's again, like he he's, you can say he's just getting attention in the, in the United States, but he's still an older guy. It's not like he's a young up and comer like Joe Tasm is. I'd rather have a lead character of these movies that can be a franchise superhero, be someone like Joe Tasm, who I went with him over Eco Uwais because Joe Tasm has been in like Fast and Furious and can at least like, if you got to make this movie in, you know, in English, he can, he can pull off that role and he can still act in English. Um, which I, I think uh, making one in the X-Men universe, making it a full on like foreign film, which I, which I initially attended intended, which, uh, wouldn't be like realistic. So I figure, you yeah. know, put someone in who can do all the action. He's great. in the night comes for us. It's, it's basically the raid made for Netflix. If you haven't seen it, fucking see it. It's amazing. So, and, and he has more experience being in, you know, American cinema. So, so I put him in there. Um, and, and I think you just have more fun fight scenes in mind. It more focuses on martial arts with like some, um, you know, powers. Like if Wolverine goes into a tournament, he's just going to kill everyone really quickly, but like iron fist going into a tournament against saber tooth or like the blob, it's going to be more of a realistic, fight that like takes iron fist effort and then going up against silver samurai where Wolverine could just so easily kill Sebastian Shaw. Like they had to make up powers and give him a helmet in X-Men first class to make Sebastian Shaw, like even a decent character. He's basically just the ringleader of, of it. So I'd rather see at the end of my movie, um, you know, the big bad Donnie Yen as silver samurai with a katana facing off against iron fist. than your movie, which would just be like Wolverine slaughtering everyone like we saw in Logan. Like the only person that could kill him is literally a clone of himself. That's it. So I could sit here and fucking defend my movie for the next however long, but I I already know how this round is going to go. So I'm just going to (laughs) say, just make your ruling. (laughs) Well, uh, you gave a good argument, Joey. And if it wasn't for for Johnny's, I think he would have had a good shot. But I think Johnny just placed the characters a lot better. And I think Iron Fist is a great lead for this kind of a movie, more so than Agent North. I think he fits the role a lot better. So I'm going to have to give this one to Johnny. Oh, yeah. Uh, Joe ran into the issue of making this an X-Men movie. And I know more about Marvel and X-Men than Joe because he's a bigger yeah. DC guy. Yeah, so yeah That's, that's kind of what we ran into there. Yeah, I was just like, yeah, that character kind of fits that role. I wasn't like concerned about anything outside of that. And also, we're going to go with uh, Face Off next. All right, Let's pull it face off. Uh, no, I'll, uh, I'll, uh, Johnny went first last time. I'll go first this time. Face Off is another all-time classic action movie. Uh, it's from 1997. It's telling the story of an FBI agent, Sean Archer, played by John Travolta, who's on the hunt for terrorist, ca- terrorist Caster Troy, played by Nicolas Cage. Best Nick Cage performance ever. <laughs> they undergo a surgery to swap faces, and as Archer tries to... Vampire's kiss. That is true. Archer uses to disguise to elicit information about a bomb from Troy's brother. Troy awakens from the coma and forces the doctor to perform the same surgery to give him Archer's face. And action antics ensue. Face off, I have surprised had a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. You know, I like the movie a lot, but 92% too low. 
I'd say probably 8% too high, but <laughs> it was definitely a fresh. All right. All right. So my director is going to be Alan J. Pakula. He did The Pelican Brief, Sophie's Choice, All the President's Men. Uh, my Sean Archer is going to be, who was originally John Travolta, like the FBI role, is going to be Harrison Ford. My caster, Troy, uh, originally Nick Cage, like you said, is going to be see. Bill Murray. My Pollux Troy is going to be Brian Doyle Murray. Uh, Bill Murray's <laughs> real-life brother. He was the head caddy in Caddyshack. He was the mayor in uh, Groundhog Day. Uh, Sean Archer's wife, Eve Archer, is going to be played by Meryl Streep. And then Sean Archer's like teenage daughter is going to be Brooke Shields. And if you're wondering why I casted a bunch of old people in this movie, it's because I casted this movie as if it were a 1970s movie, specifically 1978. So it's going to be a year after the original uh star wars it's gonna be a few years into bill, bill murray's uh, uh snl run meryl streep just did the deer hunter and so anyways my plot is going to be relatively the same but the tone is going to be closer to that of the 70s action thrillers or just like the 70s thrillers like all the president's men and not so much the crazy over the top john woo movies and i chose uh, Ford and Murray, because I felt they bit, fit both roles. Both could believably play the other when they switch. And they also similar heights and body type with Ford at 6'1 and Murray at 6'2. So it's not completely crazy that people would mistake them for the other when they switch faces. Unlike kind of pudgy John Travolta and super skinny Nicolas Cage when they switch yeah, faces. Yeah, you know, like shredded Harrison Ford and shredded Bill Murray makes more sense. Instead uh, he, of pudgy, pudgy Bill Murray. Same body types you basically cast for both. I mean, I wouldn't like say anyone was shredded in the seventies, but I didn't say they were right. shredded. It's not your argument time, Johnny. I never said uh, either of them are shredded. I just said on. relatively similar body types. Where if you put a shirt on them and switch faces, no one's really going to be like, obviously, it's a different body. But yeah, that's my pitch. All right, right let's go on with uh, Johnny's pitch. No, all, all I was saying with Joe's, I wasn't knocking against that because I like his cast, but the. Uh, I would say Bill Murray has the same body type as John Travolta and Nicolas Cage has the same mm-hmm. body type as, as Harrison Ford, <laughs> which, and it made sense in face off. So I'm not going to knock you for it. I just didn't think you needed to hit on that. Um, all right. My, uh, my movie somewhat similar direction of Joe's um, going for the 1970s. I didn't use that same rule, but I went with casting um, actors and a director who have all passed on. Um, that's the rule that I've chosen. So my director is Robert Klaus, who did Enter the Dragon. Um, And then my two leads are Brandon Lee and Bruce Lee. Um, So my hero, Archer, is played by Brandon Lee. And my villain is Caster Lee, um, played by Bruce Lee. Um, And uh, it's about two old uh, rival martial artists now have a different path in life. One is a drug Lord and uh, one is an up and coming FBI agent. Archer is captured by his old nemesis, Caster Lee, and their faces are swapped by Lee's lead scientist played by Bill Paxton. Um, Lee assumes the identity of Archer and infiltrates the FBI. Archer is given uh, Caster's face and is handcuffed, brought to the police and is sent to a high security prison. Archer now with Caster's face, must use Caster's identity to get Caster's brother, played by a young Pat Morita, to help him escape prison um, so he can go uh, stop his old nemesis and get his face back. So my movie is going to be more similar lines, like Joe went a little different uh, with his uh, in terms of face-off. 
Mine, instead of more gunfights, is going to have more martial arts. And it's going to give Brandon Lee and Bruce, and Bruce Lee a chance to act next to each other, which would have been awesome. And it's face-off, so a, a father and a son playing characters that switch faces, they definitely have the same body type and look similar enough where that's more more believable um, than two completely different people. So I think that makes sense for, for face off. And I think that would be a, a cool movie full of uh, martial arts and um, a lot of the fun action that face off originally had. So that's my pitch. All right. I'm a big fan of both of these pitches. Uh, Bobby, do you have any thoughts that might be able to set me ahead for when we battle it out? Yeah. So, I mean, for me, right, right off the bat, I liked Joe's, uh, I think Joe's cast, as far as um, Bill Murray and Harrison Ford, that that sounds really entertaining, but I don't know if it matches the tone you were pitching, so I kind of want to hear a little bit more of that. And then Johnny, um, it's just, I, I, I really like the movie, but I feel like um, I just liked Joe's leads a little more as far as an entertainment value uh, instead of just being a straight-up action movie, but I really like the action movie aspect, so I'm kind of... 50-50 right now. I just need to hear them argue it out. Okay. Yeah, I agree, Joe. Yours, the tone was, was getting me a little bit because you said it would take itself a little bit more seriously. And and to me, Bill Murray and Harrison Ford swapping bodies is anything but serious. So a little bit more insight on your tone would be helpful. Yeah, I mean, the tone could still be serious. I mean, we're right at the verge of, I mean, 1978, you know, like plastic surgery is like a big thing that's coming through. And I feel like in the original movie, like you see them doing liposuction and shit on each other's bodies and i feel like because and i understand like bill murray's kind of pudgy and fat now but in 1978 he was still like a pretty skinny guy and i feel like you could just swap their faces and not have to do all of this crazy surgery on each other to be believable none of of that is believable in the original one so i'm not gonna fight you on any of that being well i'm just saying as far as matching my tone of a more serious no i I understand that but i'm not gonna knock you on it so you don't have to defend it just because that's that would be stupid to knock anyone off the believability of face off it's an unbelievable movie yeah but i'm just saying as far as like making a thriller and i think bill murray like obviously he's known for his comedy but he's done good dramatic work in lost in translation and uh other mo- and uh, was it broken flowers or something like that he mm-hmm. like he can do dramatic work but he can also be a like play over the top type crazy person like and be a believable like weird domestic terrorist guy in a dramatic thriller and i think nicholas cage or not nicholas cage harrison ford can also be kind of that over the top yelling guy and i think they can both believably play the other role as well as the original Sean Archer, like their original casted role as, as like Sean Ar- as Harrison Ford as the FBI agent and Bill Murray as the domestic terrorist. Okay. Um, here's, here's my thing with, with Joe's is I love Bill Murray and I love Harrison Ford. I get it's a, it's a seventies movie, but my problem is Joe mentioned that, you know, Bill Murray can do serious roles like lost in translation, which came out in like 2003 and broken flowers, which came out in like 2010 um, and he can do like these over the top, you know, like villainous characters. You know, the one that he made me think of was Kingpin, which came out in the 90s. Bill Murray wasn't doing any of that. Uh, you know, like the character that you described, Bill Murray was not doing any of that in the 70s. So we I understand. Know that wasn't in his except, Okay, here's my thing. Maybe it was, but he did nothing to show that it was. Okay. 
And I think that stuff he picked up later in his career because he was just in movies. When he was doing yours, he basically was doing meatballs. Um, he hadn't even done Ghostbusters yet. Like Bill Murray wasn't a big draw by the time you're doing yours, as far as I as far as I know, unless I have my dates wrong. But you know, Ghostbusters came out in like 1980. Um, yeah, like, he might he did he do Caddyshack yet? By the time your movie came out, uh, I don't remember. I don't, I, I don't even know if he did that. So. You know, I get I get having Bill Murray like now, if you look back on it, yeah, Bill Murray can do all these roles and be this person. But I don't think in the 70s and in your year that you cast this movie, I don't know if he's capable of the character you're describing. And I also I think the main thing with Face Off, which, you know, you basically just have I think John Travolta's role is so fun in Face Off because he is trying to be Nicolas Cage. The problem with your movie is I can't see Harrison Ford being Bill Murray and I can't see Bill Murray acting like Harrison Ford or your movie's kind of lame. Like, you know, Harrison Ford can never be the crazy over the top villain character that you want Bill Murray to kind of be. So if you're switching faces, you know, Harrison Ford's going to have to act like the crazy person for at least either some of the movie or most of the movie. And Bill Murray is going to have to be the straight man for pretty much most of the movie. So I think that's where your movie, your movie hurts itself because in mine, you know, I, I didn't go for, for that. Like, I know that's how the, the face-off movie was, but Brandon Lee and Bruce Lee are mainly going to be rival martial arts students. And then they go different paths in their career. One becomes an FBI agent. One becomes, you know, um, a, a drug Lord and stuff. But they have similar personalities. So when they switch faces, it's believable and they um, are yeah, acting my- as the other person. But you in your movie, I think it's kind of ruined by, I don't see Harrison Ford ever doing anything over the top. And he's going to have to do that in your movie. But then my problem with yours is if their personalities aren't different at all and they switch faces, why do I even care? Cause they're not even acting different. They're just basically playing what they were before their faces were switched. And then like, as an audience member, it's not even that interesting. It's like, Oh, Bruce Lee was playing as acting a certain way. And then he switched faces and then he's kind of just acting the same way he was before. Except because I think that for the storyline of my movie and the movie that I'm pitching, it's different than the original face off in the terms of, you don't need super over the top. Like you, you don't need it. It, it was fun and face up, but that's by no means like a great movie. So instead of going that direction, mine is more of a martial arts film. It's going to be a little more serious in terms of um, why they switched faces. It's because the drug Lord can switch faces with the FBI agent. He can go infiltrate the FBI and still run his operation as this new guy And then the, you know, he can send the one dude that was after him and knows who he is to prison, get him out of the picture. So storyline wise, mine makes more sense. Um, And acting wise, they can both pull it off. Yours, I'm not convinced either of them can pull off the other person's persona because you picked such different people, even though Bill Murray is my favorite actor of all time. Harrison Ford's amazing. I think Nicolas Cage and John Travolta just were able to act so crazy. And that's what was fun about Face Off. But I mean, that movie is just a so bad, it's good movie. I want to make a fun martial arts movie. So, you know, mine is still Face Off, and it's more in the style of Enter the Dragon and Fist of Fury and things like that, like Bruce Lee-type movies. And yours just sounds too all over the place, and I can't see it working in terms of, 
you know, if you're going to switch those people, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. And neither of them can pull off the other person's attitude. I just disagree. I think it fits more with the seventies thriller vibe and it's not the same, like two crazy people trying to out crazy each other for a full movie. It's more subdued. It's more like he's still a domestic terrorist and all that. And I think it fits with the whole 70s thriller vibe. It's two movie stars, like right at the beginning of their movie stardom. All right. I, I think, I think, I think yeah, movie. okay. You guys said that. Yeah. I think Joe's movie works better as an 80s movie with his cast than a 70s movie. That's all. Yeah. Any final thoughts here, Bobby? I'm, I'm conflicted still. I'm so, still running it through my head. So, Johnny's last point there is actually what I was doing because I look kind of thinking because um, I was doing just some research. Wait, wait, wait. wait, wait. Did Joe freeze or is he just sitting there? No, yeah. Okay, no, he's okay. Um, so I was, I was just kind of looking it up, and yeah, Bill Murray at that point had not done a movie. I think he was, he was a side character in one movie. He was just on SNL just the year before. Um, so I, as far as use of rule, I would, I would kind of dock Joe on his choice for Bill Murray. He's not really a lead at that point. Um, and I just think overall, for me, um, even though if that movie was in the '80s, like. I, I like those leads more on Joe's. I think the pitch for face off just being a fun um, action movie uh, in Johnny's works better than a thriller for me. So that's kind of where yeah. I'm leaning. I'm in the same situation. I think that Joe's cast is theoretically good, but I don't think in the seventies, either one of them was at the point in the career where this would have been exciting. I think what, what he was trying to go for in the original face off was these well-known actors who were, in this kind of crazy kooky role. And I, I don't really get that from, from Joe's cast. I think Bill Murray and Harrison Ford, I was into them swapping, swapping roles when you first pitched it. But as Johnny attacked it, I started seeing some of the flaws and I started seeing that in this part of the career, I don't know if they would be up to the task of doing this kind of a role. And I think if you're going to use Harrison Ford and Bill Murray, you want to lean into that craziness. Cause that's kind of a ridiculous thing. Like Harrison Ford acting kooky and crazy as Bill Murray Bill Murray acting like this straight like FBI agent. I think that sounds like something that should be ridiculous, but when you're putting it in like a 70s thriller, it feels sort of out of place. And I think Johnny's sounds really exciting with the with the 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 action that he brings into it without going over the top like the original movie does, but he still has that sort of kung fu style action that made it would make it exciting. And I would love to see the two swap faces, you know, the Brandon Lee and Bruce Lee both tragically died in very young and i think it would be powerful to see them together in this in this mystical world where this movie exists so i'm gonna have to go with johnny on this one hell yeah cool right. yeah joe, if joe's movie was like five years later it would have been harder to fight but i was like your year doesn't work for these two yeah. people yeah the 70s just a little too early i think for them yeah yeah i was thinking of making a robert redford and paul newman movie but then i was like that oh, would have been harder to fight honestly if you can i, I would have liked that a lot better they, because yeah. they had already done movies together. They did Butch Casting, The Sundance Kid in 68. Like, that would have been a perfect perfect face-off for the 70s. So yeah, I'm maybe. glad you did not pick that because that would have been harder. I to, was the, going back and forth against. until, like, yeah. three yeah. hours ago. Which ones to do? These two are Robert Redford and Paul Newman. <laughs> if I was the judge, that would have won your pitch. Fucking Joe, Joe thought – Joe figured because I love Bill Murray so much, it would be harder to fight. But I know Bill Murray's career so well that I was like – he wasn't that big in seventies. Like, come on, man. All right. So I'm yet. just, I'm just going to go down the list. We're going to do my cousin Vinny next. So interesting. All right. And, uh, I'll let Johnny go first. All right. My cousin Vinny. Well, you guys got to read the, 
Batman. One of the movies I have not seen on this list, so I just had to go off of what I could find on the internet. <laughs> really? Let's go on IMDb, read it off of. I, I yeah. love this movie. It's yeah, a 1992 great. American comedy film directed by Jonathan Lynn. New York lawyer Vinny has never won a case, but when his teenage cousin Bill and his friend Sam are accused of murder in a backwater Alabama town, it's up to the nervous Vinny to save him from going to jail. The film stars icons Joe Pesci and Ralph Maggio and now Mercer Tomei. I like Cousin Vinny has an 82% on Rotten Tomatoes. Pretty pretty solid percentage there. Cool. Um, all right. My Cousin Vinny is a classic. Um, I don't think you can do anything better with the original plot of that movie. So I changed it up. Um, <laughs> my movie is going to be a whodunit movie. Um, and uh, my director is uh, Gene Stup- Stupninsky, who did Good Boys. And really, the only, like, there's going to be plenty of people. The main two I cast for the main two kids are Gaten Matizaro. He's going to be like the Ralph Macchio role. Um, he was in, you know, Shazam and It. And uh, he's, he's like an up and coming child actor. And uh, Chosen Jacobs, who's also in It, um, as Mike. And then uh, my de- uh, detective, Vinny, is Charlie Day. So. Two kids are at a house party uh, uh, drinking underage when there is a dead body found. Uh, the main kid calls his cousin. Uh, the main kid is uh, Gaten Massanzaro. Calls his cousin, a failed detective, to find out who killed the person in the house because none of the kids want to call the police because they don't want to all get MIPs and get in trouble for underage drinking. And the main kid of the house um, doesn't want the police to come. So they call his cousin, Vinny. Um, and it's a whodunit uh, starring a bunch of like drunk high school kids at a party and Charlie day gets to be the like over the top detective Vinny. Um, so that's, that's kind of the pitch for, for my movie. Um, it's, it's a pretty quick, quick pitch. I didn't bother casting a ton of other people in it. You know, I have an idea of who, who would be in it. A lot of basically like famous kid actors, but as Joe can attest to, it's fucking annoying looking up kid actors. So hundred percent. Yeah. So it, you know, like I agree. It's going to be it's going to be a bunch of big kid actors like Millie Bobby Brown and stuff at the party, um, and they're all going to have roles. Um, I, I was worried a little, like with a Who Done It, I felt like I needed to cast more, but I want basically the kids from Stranger Things, It, and um, Book Smart all to kind of be in it at the party, being underage drinkers, and then Charlie's got to be a detective facing drunken teenagers to see who killed this person. So that's that's my who done it, uh, my cousin Vinny movie. All right, so I went in a completely different direction with my movie. Uh, my director is going to be Alfred Hitchcock because the rule I use is I'm making <laughs> one an Alfred Hitchcock movie. So my Vinny is going to be instead of Joe Pesci is going to be John David Washington from uh, Black Klansman. Uh, his Mona Lisa replacing Marissa Tomei is going to be Tessa Thompson. My Judge Holler uh, replacing Fred Gwynn is going to be Tom Hanks. And then the rival lawyer going against uh, Vinny is going to be played by Ma- Jim Trotter. The third is going to be played by Matthew McConaughey. Uh, the sheriff of the town is going to be played by Timothy Oliphant. Uh, Bill replacing Ralph Macchio is going to be Caleb McLaughlin from stranger things. Uh, and then his friend, Star of my back to the future. Yeah. Should've and won. then his friend Stan is going to be played by uh, Cholo Maraduena or Zolo. I don't know how to pronounce his name from uh, the main kid from Cobra Kai. And then my Hitchcock cameo is just going to be Alfred Hitchcock's going to be present at the tri- at the at the trial. He's just going to be like sitting in the audience. 
Anyway, so my story is going to be very similar to the original, but the tone is going to be very different. The original was a lot more of a comedy. Mine is going to be more serious. Instead of the townspeople and witnesses kind of being dumb, there will be more of a conspiracy against Bill and Stan that Vin Vinny has to uncover. He will find that witnesses have been bribed and forced to give dishonest testimony. testimony. We will get the we still get the moment of Mona Lisa proving to the jury that the car that robbed the store wasn't Bill and Stan's car. Uh, Vinny will be threatened to leave town, but he refuses. And at the end, Vinny proves the car that robbed the store belonged to the mayor's son. So it's going to be more of like a whole big conspiracy theory in this town. And it's going to be like some scary elements and stuff like that. Similar tones to kind of like a North by Northwest and similar to, and a little bit to things like Psycho. And that's my pitch. Cool. All right. Two very different pitches. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm Hard to hard to compete to different movies like this. Bobby, do you have any takes before we get them to start battling it out a little bit? Uh, I actually really like both these takes, um, but I, and I love my cousin Vinny. Um, I had a question written out for this movie specifically, and Joe answered it in his pitch. Um, but uh, Marissa Tomei was like the standout to me and to a lot of people in that movie. She won Best Supporting Actress, and that scene, her testimony where she proves you know the car and all that, is a big scene. So Johnny. Uh, is there a scene like that in your movie? Um, I know there's no testimony because it's a investigation, but there's, is there some big scene with one of the characters like that? Big reveal. What I, what I, what I want is to kind of be a twist on that. Um, and I was ready for that uh, question because I hadn't written it in my pitch. But what I want is to bring in Charlie Day's girlfriend, played by um, Jillian Jacobs, who was in Community, to kind of do that whole spiel of uh, the Marissa Tomei, like, you know, like I know more about cars than you and do that to one of the kids. But then it'd be like the kid, like by the end of it is passed out drunk. So like, I want it to be kind of a, you know, like a, okay, this is my cousin Vinny. So you need that scene. But instead of that being like the turn in the court case, I want that to be, you know, kind of the funny moment of it's a recall to it, but then it doesn't actually help Charlie with his case. He thinks he's got it. Like she completely like, brings up all these good facts and then it cuts to the kid and they're passed out hammered. So like that, that's my, my Marissa Tomei type scene. So it's different than, uh, than what Joe's is, but I think it's a good, good callback and it makes it more of a comedy, which is more of the tone of my movie. All right, I, I like that a lot. Um, I'm ready to hear him battle it out. I don't know if you have any questions for him, Tristan. Oh yeah. My one question is for Johnny, just generally what would the movie be like as you're watching it? What is Charlie day doing this whole time? Is it similar to like knives out of those who done it? he's interrogating these kids or what is, what is he doing throughout the movie to investigate this, this crime? He would, he would bring kids into rooms to interrogate them. Um, but the style that he is going for as his character, like the Daniel Craig type, you know, and knives out. If you've ever seen, it's always sunny. Whenever he gets into his bird law lawyer mode, that's what he's going to be doing. You know, he's going to be, he's a failed detective. He never really made it. They bring him in to solve it. So he acts like he knows all these laws and stuff, but like there's going to be a scene where one kid knows way more than him because he's taking like an AP law class and there, and he like stumps Charlie. And then there's going to be, you know, scenes where um, Charlie thinks he's got kids and it, and it doesn't really make sense to the story, but like in the end he, he figures it out um, and, and helps, you know, saves the day. It's going to be, you know, because they bring in, 
Um, you know, and my cousin Vinny, the, the lawyer, he's a failed lawyer. They, the kids have no confidence in him and then he ends up helping them. And, and a big part of it's Mercy Tomei, but this movie is going to kind of have that and have like a little heartfelt ending at the end, but at the same time be a funny movie where he's interrogating a bunch of basically drunk teenagers um, who didn't want the cops called on him to see who might've killed this person. So I, I think that is, is more the tone. Charlie can be his over the top Charlie Kelly type character self. Um, as well as, uh, you know, uh, having some good messages. And, and I think that's what Good Boys did well. So that's why I chose the director from that movie. All right. You guys can go ahead and battle out and win us over. All right. I think my problem with Johnny says I feel like it's too much of a departure from the original. Like, I understand we had to make one who done it. And when I made Back to the Future who done it, I still kind of stuck to a lot of core tenants of what back to the future was and if you saw that movie you'd still be like oh that's kind of back to the future where i feel like his is more a completely different movie that has just like a guy's cousin shows up to this place and that has the same title like i feel like yeah if I, what's the if movie you called changed, joe yeah my cousin Vinny. what's the movie but, called my cousin Vinny. that's all it needs to be about but if you you could literally if you change the t- title to just like my cousin Steve, no one would even connect really that it's a remake of My Cousin Vinny. Where my movie. What, okay, well, here's my thing. That's why you have like the Gillian Jacobs thing in it, and you have that basically scene of her being the Mercer Tomei type character, and then the kid being passed out. You have homages to the original, but why, when remakes suck and why reboots suck is when they try to stick so close to the original. Make it different, you know? It. Uh, you know, My Cousin Vinny's a good movie in itself. We already have My Cousin Vinny. You don't need to have basically anything to do with the original to make it a good movie. You can do whatever you want with it. It's a funny, you know, my movie is going to be a comedy. It's going to be funny. It has the name value just like these, you know, like TV shows nowadays stick to having the name of like Uncle Buck and stuff like that. But then they don't really have anything to do with the original stuff. You know, that's, that's kind of how a lot and of how reboots long was are Uncle now. Buck on TV for? How yeah, that was a bad example <laughs> because Uncle Buck probably didn't last long. But but again, I, I just feel like my movie is more so like a fun movie that everyone would go see. Yours doesn't actually feel like a Hitchcock movie. He's not doing anything that has to do with court cases and stuff like that. Like, you know, like it. your movie doesn't feel like the mystery. Like the whole point of that rule of Hitchcock is let's make this a like a good mystery movie like all of his like really really famous good movies are and and your movie just doesn't feel hitchcockian to me other than the cameo like i don't need to see a hitchcock movie that takes place all in a court scene but i I started i started doing essentially your same pitch in mine and then i was like this sucks that's not a hitchcock movie so then i went with um the movie that i made and i changed the rule on it because i started writing hitchcock pitch because i thought that fit then i was like you know what? Knowing Hitchcock, knowing the movies he did, doesn't fit this movie whatsoever. But but the whole movie's not completely in the courtroom. Vinny goes around and he talks to people and he does all this other things. Yeah, like a Who Done It movie. Well, I'm just saying yours is also that's goes again to my point is I think like you said you got to change it up to, if the movies, you know, for certain movies. And, but I feel like there's also a certain level between changing it up and just making a completely different movie and then slapping the title on it. And I understand no. you had like an homage to it with the the scene with Marissa Tomei and now like Jillian Jacobs talking to a drunk kid, but I still don't know if that's enough to be like, oh, this is a My Cousin Vinny reboot and not just a movie where a guy is a guy's cousin. Yeah, but like, I mean, the whole point of 
I would say the main storyline that you need to keep from the original My Cousin Vinny is that a kid who's in trouble calls his cousin who is a failed, you know, but was lawyer he even a or failed a detective. Lawyer? He was, I yeah, he, he was just recently yeah, he was, out of law school. The problem is they just cast Joe Pesci, who was like 30 no, they years cast old Joe to play Pesci that role. And they were, no, he was basically like they had no confidence in this guy, right? So they bring Charlie in to kind of play that role of like, hey, this is the guy we have no confidence in. How is he going to get us out of trouble? And, and either way, like in the original, basically the only thing you need to keep to make it my cousin Vinny and to make it, you know, relate to the original movie is a kid is in trouble and calls his cousin in and he doesn't have confidence in his cousin. That's really all you need to make it like my cousin Vinny. And then you can have homages to it. And, and it's still, you know, like it, it'll bring people in. Like, that's really all you need. The, the, my cousin Vinny as a movie doesn't work when you try to go the serious route. I think it works when you go the comedic route. I think there were two directions to go with it. I think you could have, because if you tried to make the same movie that was kind of, you either were going to do more of the same or you were going to make it boring by making it a courtroom drama, or you could have made it more fun by embracing the comedic aspect. So I, instead of going with the Hitchcock version where there's no comedy in any Hitchcock movie ever, there's no jokes, there's no comedy. He's a great filmmaker, but there's no laugh moments in, in Hitchcock movies. I think the main thing that you need from my cousin Vinny is comedy. So I embrace that that instead um and i think you took out any of the comedy for my cousin Vinny. so you saying that mine is not you know a good reboot or a good you know like mine changes too much yours changes too much yours could have the same plot line but take out all the comedy and your movie is no is way different than my cousin Vinny. you know so like it it, it that's still, i, I you think know, your point is no no mine is still these these kids in this town you know are charged for the crime they didn't commit one of them calls his lawyer cousin to come in and the lawyer cousin has to figure out not only how to prove them innocent but also who committed the actual crime which my movie has literally all of that except for the lawyer it's a detective a lawyer and a detective and instead of a crime you know uh trial and and all the kids accuse these two kids of it and then they call the cousin that's that's all you need it's the same thing my we we have the same connection so i just feel like you could have made different arguments, but I don't think your argument hurts my movie. Like uh, we have the like same, yours is just as same, far. Yeah. So you point. guys step in here, judges. Yeah. yeah. Do you guys have any new points? <laughs> yeah. We've hit the same points a few times over and over again. Uh, Bobby, do you have any thoughts on this? Um, I'm still kind of in between. Um, if I had to lean one direction right now, I think the movie I'd rather see is Johnny's cause it sounds more fun. And that's kind of the best part of my cousin Vinny. It's a really fun movie. Um, but honestly, I could, I, if I were the judge, I would, I would be having a tough time with this one because I think Johnny's did change uh, quite a bit of it, but it kept kind of the essence, whereas Joe's kept the plot and changed the tone. So it's kind of right. So it's kind of a, which do you prefer? Um, If I were to go see this movie, I'd prefer Johnny's, but that's about it. Yeah. I'm I'm definitely feeling the, feeling the conflict here. I think we have a live comment that we can bring in. Hopefully it'll help me get a little clarity here. Bill Burr should be my cousin Vinny. (laughs) I thought about that at one point, but that's not He'd be good. He'd be good. Good casting. That does not help my, my indecision in this moment. I'm going to talk through a little bit. Uh, so Joe, I do think that 
Alfred Hitchcock is an interesting pick for my cousin Vinny, but from what I was seeing about the movie, what I saw in the trailer, what I saw in the reviews, it's it's not that serious, and I think going way too serious with this might be a miss here. We have another comment coming in from Spinner58 saying, Hitchcock used subtle humor, not laugh-out-loud comedy. Yeah, name it one time. Like, I know Hitchcock well. I mean, he doesn't really have much humor in his movies. It's, purposely. It's he doesn't just want like, to. He makes you chuckle slightly at random moments, but it's not really going for humor. Yeah, yeah. small chuckles are in there, but that's in any movie, really. You don't, I mean, ah, I'm very conflicted. I think I think Johnny's is good. I think Charlie Day is a good lead for this. I think when you're going for that comedic take on this, on this premise, Charlie Day could pull that like disheveled detective who's kind of in over his element and doesn't know what he's doing, and he's trying to solve this crime that's way over his pay grade to be solved. And I like the interaction between these him and the kids, and I could see Charlie Day interacting with these young kids, trying to. He was in fist fight that had him interacting with a lot of young kids too. And I'm a big fan of Charlie Day, so I'm kind of a sucker for that. I think what Joe's missed slightly is just that it takes itself a little bit too seriously. And and for Hitchcock, I don't necessarily want to see him take on a courtroom drama. I don't know if that if that is able to get the most out of Hitchcock as a director. So I'm going to give the slight edge here to Johnny. You know, fucking big lead, Joe. After I lost that first one, I came out with a vengeance. I was pissed I lost that first movie. All right, fuck it. We're just keep moving down the list. On the water. Oh, God, no. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna step away real quick while you run down the movie. I got to get a beer refill for this one for Johnny. So <laughs> fair. All right, on the water. An all-time classic movie. I watched this in film school, so it's definitely one that's up there in terms of the iconic movies. So it came out in 1954. It's an American crime drama directed by uh, Elia Kazan. It stars the one and only Marlon Brando, all-time great actor. It's doc worker Terry Malloy, who is an up-and-coming boxer until a powerful local mob boss, Johnny Friendly, uh, pressured him into throwing the fight. But a longshoreman is murdered before he can testify. Friendly's control of a Hoboken waterfront. Uh, Terry teams up with the dead man's sister in the streetwise in a streetwise priest to testify himself against Friendly. On the Waterfront is an all-time classic neo-noir movie with a 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. I'd love to meet the one person who gives this negative review. <laughs> Fuck that person. That movie is a 100% movie. Great, one of the greatest yeah. movies ever. Yeah. The only movie amazing. scene I have fully uh, memorized. It's well, not that that thing, but... A great movie. It's like 99%. They're like, you know, terrible. Trash movie. Yeah. Remember that night in the garden? I came into your dressing room. Oh, he's back. I was going to do the kid, same This ancient night. night. My, My night. night. I could have taken Wilson, Wilson apart. So what happens? <laughs> he gets the title shot outdoors in the ballpark. And what do I You're get? All, A one-way ticket to Lucaville. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. <laughs> all right. We were mostly, I was only doing it waiting for you so we didn't have dead air because we didn't. We he explained the movie. Uh, you went first last cha- time. It was you. you. You went first last time, right, Johnny? Probably. Don't I don't know. Worry. I'll go first this time. So my director is uh, Dee Rees. Uh, she directed the Netflix movie Mudbound. Oh, wait. Did we lose Tristan? Oh, he's oh, back. He's back. My got, he... just lost my connection. You know, crashed my router for a second, but I'm back. All right. So my uh, director is Dee Rees. She directed the Netflix movie Mudbound, which came out like two or three years ago. Uh, it's a really good movie. So for my cast, my Terry Malloy is where my rule comes in because I cast Chadwick Boseman. 
Um, my father, Barry, replacing Carl Molden, is Denzel Washington. My Johnny Friendly is Michael Keaton. Uh, Charlie Malloy, Terry's brother, is Sterling K. Brown. He's on This Is Us, and he was also uh, Killmonger's dad in Black Panther. Spoiler alert. Uh, and then my Edie Doyle, the love interest, is going to be played by Lupita Nyong'o. And then her father, Pop Doyle, is going to be played by Rob Morgan, who he's basically in every single Netflix show. So my overall plot is kind of generally going to be the same, because why mess with perfection? However, I'm setting it in present-day Baltimore. Instead of a boxer, Terry will be a former MMA fighter. And since... In my movie, Johnny Friendly and a lot of the upper crust people in his gang are white and all of the dock workers and people in town in the area are black. The movie will have undertones that deal with race and how Terry tried to use fighting as a way to get out, but was forced to start throwing fights and never actually got out of his area. He now works for Johnny Friendly as like a leg breaker and enforcer. Uh, and eventually he rises up and gains respect by the other laborers after sacrificing the uh, sacrificing them by getting his shit kicked out and for not betraying Johnny Friendly. Uh, Johnny Friendly is then overrun by the dock workers and loses his powers or loses his power. And then I like the idea of Denzel being a mentor for Chadwick in real life, so I made him his mentor in 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 regards to this movie. And then we still get the classic speech, obviously, but with like a few changes just to fit like a more modern vernacular and then more modern references of like I don't know if like MMA fights are outdoors in the ballpark. And so, Polkaville uh, definitely not a current term. Yeah, po- yeah. So, and yeah, that's my pitch for on the waterfront, starring Chadwick Boseman. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Here, here's the thing. Joe and I both have always wanted to make a prequel for On the Waterfront, but repitching On the Waterfront was very difficult because you can't really do anything with that. So I was like, do I just try to make a prequel? No, I'll get knocked for making a whole different movie. So Joe and I kind of did a similar thing. We just kind of changed the plot up a little bit. So my, um, but I, I went a little different way with it with a couple points. So my my Terry Malloy, um, originally Marilyn Brando is Tom Hardy. Uh, my Johnny Friendly uh, is played by Daniel Craig. My Charlie Malloy is played by Joel Edgerton. Um, and and then uh, here's my, and my director is Sam Mendes. Um, Here's my here's my pitch. Terry Malloy, once an up and coming boxer, is now the muscle for the town gangster Johnny Friendly. He wants to do more with his life when he meets a young woman named Eddie and falls in love. Um, Terry sticks up for the town against Johnny. He gets in a car with his brother Charlie, uh, where he realizes Charlie is to sell him um, to sell out his own brother to the mob. He gives a great speech about how Charlie held him back from being the man he could have been. Charlie then realizes, um, you know, he's held his brother back. So he exits the car where he is killed by the mob's hitman, Michael Sullivan, played by Tom Hanks, as made famous in the role from Road to Perdition. Um, So that is my rule. Um, The hitman's mob man, like uh, the mob's hitman is going to be Michael Sullivan. And he's going to be played by Tom Hanks. So the rest of the movie basically plays out similar, except that you have kind of a more dangerous... uh, person after Terry Malloy um, and you actually get to have a fight scene, which I think that was kind of what the original was missing. Like at the end, Johnny friendly just beats the shit out of um, Terry and you don't ever get to see that boxing aspect or that fighters lifestyle or aspect. Um, 
you know, like, because, it, and it makes sense for the story. He basically is like, I'm just going to keep getting up. I'm not going to hit back, but I'm going to keep getting up. Um, I could have class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody says Michael. He basically said that whole thing. Um, but I, I think the one thing you might need to add on the waterfront is kind of that old boxing lifestyle of Terry kind of coming out. Um, so Terry being able to fight, um, Michael Sullivan, which is, you know, Tom Hanks's character, he kind of stops him from killing him and his, his girl. Um, and then at the end you have a, you have a similar ending. Then at the end he refuses to hit back Johnny friendly. So all of the, the, um, you know, union workers come in and, and, and be able to, to do their thing. But I want to add at least one good scene of Terry Malloy showing off that he used to be this prize fighter, because I think that's, if you could add anything to auto on the waterfront as a whole, the one thing you're missing is Terry Malloy showing off his boxing skills. So that's kind of where I went with it. And that's my pitch. All right. Two good pitches here. My uh, one question to Johnny is just, it seems very similar. So when you get into this, I want you to sort of defend why this movie is, is being made, you know, have a good cast and a good director, but, I would like to be so a little bit more on why this is the direction he wanted to go if they were going to remake this movie. And before we get into it, I wanted to get some thoughts on Bobby and see if he had any thoughts before we get to this. Yeah. My, my initial take is I, um, I think Johnny is a little bit too tied to the original cause he loves that so much. I think Joe changed it enough that I'm a little bit more interested in that right now. Um, but I'd like to hear him fight it out. And like, I had pretty much the same question you did for Johnny um, I kind of need need to hear that defended. All right, can can I attack his first? I mean, sure. See, the main two things I have against you is you like wanted the fight scene with Terry Malloy and then Michael Sullivan, and I get wanting to see Terry Malloy's fighting skills, but I don't know if Michael Sullivan's the guy to do it because like obviously he's like good with a gun and like a good hitman, but we never saw him like fight and Road to Perdition. Like I don't know if he's necessarily like a good fighter. It would just be like Terry Malloy beating the shit out of a guy, and then you want him to fight Michael Sullivan, but then get the shit kicked out of him by Johnny friendly. And I feel like that goes into the trope. We see an annoying trope. We see in action movies all the time of like the guy will like the hero will go and he'll kill all the henchmen, but then he'll get to the main villain and be like, Oh, I won't kill you. Cause killing, killing you is against my code. So if he goes and beats up Michael Sullivan and then refuses to beat up Johnny friendly, I feel like that just kind of like, why like if you're gonna beat up one guy in this organization why can't you just beat up johnny friendly as well why are you just gonna sit there and get beat up by johnny friendly other than like the plot of the movie requires it because my difference of those two fights is that michael sullivan is trying to kill him he is the hitman so that was what he was hired to do so he has to beat him up so you get to see some of the fighting you know and 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 he shows that off so i think by the end of it, when he refuses to hit, you know, in my movie, he's just going to kind of stand there and get hit and keep getting back up by Johnny Friendly. It shows more of this dude could kick this guy's ass, but he refuses. And that makes a more powerful statement because in the previous scenes, you've already seen him beat the shit out of someone. So like if he just beats the shit out of Michael Sullivan and is like, get the fuck out, like, you know, I could I could kick your ass okay, like he's a badass boxer. He still has the abilities. It makes his speech mean more because he says he could have been somebody. He obviously still has those abilities, but he kept taking those dives. It doesn't make you think, hey, maybe like just couldn't win those fights. And then at the end, 
he knows the best way to motivate these people, he would just be another big bully in the pond if he actually fought back. So instead of fighting back, he sits back, just keeps getting hit, keeps getting back up. That makes it more powerful in the end because, you know, the um, in, in the other movie, you don't really ever see him use his boxing abilities other than just in the end. He just keeps getting back up after after getting beat up. And, and he actually tries to fight him and just keeps getting beat down. I think it's a better message to the people he's trying to, you know, um, like send a message to if they know he can fight but he is choosing not to, but he just keeps getting back up because he's sending the message of, I can fight you, but the best way to stop you is to just keep getting up. Who Who is your uh, Johnny Friendly again? My Johnny Friendly was um, Daniel Craig. All right. Yeah, see, like, that's another problem with, if, if it's like, okay, he's beating like kind of, I mean, I assume it's just Michael, or it's, yeah, Michael Sullivan straight out of Road to Perdition and not necessarily current present day Tom Hanks. Yeah, it's it's yeah, right but, out okay. of the movie. Yeah, so it's still like you got like he kicks the shit out of like an old and kind of he's kind of pudgy and like out of shape guy, and then he gets the shit kicked out of him by like James Bond. Where I don't know if that message really works so much. If it was like the opposite, where he kicks the shit out of James Bond and then lets like kind of a weaker, smaller guy beat him up, where I don't know if necessarily that message would get across because people might just take it as. Oh, like James Bond is a better. I mean, obviously, it's not James Bond; it's Daniel Craig. It's a different movie. Yeah, it's it's different, just, but people are still going to see know, him. Daniel as Craig James can Bond. still disappear in a different roles. Like Daniel Craig is not only James Bond, and like Daniel Craig. I mean, if he needs to like pudge up for this role a little, like he can do that. Like you know, if you if you feel the need to make Johnny Friendly do that, like Lee J. Cobb is still like an intimidating figure in the original one. It's not like Jeremy Malloy just goes to fight some fat old dude like he's not fucking doing that like yeah. lee j cobb is still he looks intimidating in that role and looks intimidating in that in that in that movie and i think that's what johnny friendly it's funny because his name's johnny friendly but he is an intimidating mob boss an intimidating figure i, I think that's important to the to the role and i think daniel craig can pull that off especially after playing you know different types of roles in the last few things he's done he's shown more range than he's ever done in his career so he can play a completely different character than than the daniel craig of james bond yeah shout out to logan yeah, logan lucky Go he's bang. amazing in and i think like that he was the reason that i liked knives out he was the easily the best role in that movie yeah, and I get what you're saying, but the more you keep saying, like, oh, he's supposed to be this big intimidating thing, I think it takes away from the message of the movie of him intentionally getting his shit kicked in. Or at least with my movie, it's, you know, Chadwick Boseman. I never said he's supposed to be this big intimidating guy. I said that he we, can disappear in a different role. So if Johnny Friendly's not supposed to be this intimidating character, you know, like Lee J. Cobb wasn't like some fat old guy, and that's not what Daniel Craig's going to be, but he wasn't like fucking oh like this guy's gonna kick my ass like that is i feel like daniel craig can play can play well of the in-between of this dude you know can fight if he needs to but doesn't feel he needs to that's why he hires a hitman i I think that's what daniel craig is good at and i think that is why i you know that's why i chose him as johnny friendly because that it just fits in the role yeah i feel like i feel like your message of he's just we know he can win but he doesn't works better with Chadwick Boseman and, and Michael Keaton. 
Except what does Michael Keaton have to do with like Michael Keaton's a bad casting choice in your movie. I think your casting is good in your movie, but I think Michael Keaton is so far away from anything like else in your movie that that was a terrible casting choice. And like, I like Michael Keaton, but like, sure. Cast, cast Michael Keaton from 1990. Sure. But like Michael Keaton in your role doesn't fucking work at all in 2020. Like not even a little bit. Yeah. I just just feel like he's, as like the big intimidate, like the intimidating kind of leader. Yeah, like like of- what fucking old man Michael Keaton. That's very intimidating. He's not going to throw a punch. Like he like was intimidating in Spider Man Homecoming, I- and that was like three years ago. Yeah, but not punching anyone, and he had a device. Like it's not like Michael Keaton ever had a fight scene in Spider Man Homecoming. There was no fight scene in that movie. Michael Keaton is is maybe intimidating because like play Batman kind of, I'm like, a little crazy guy. He's not like, even yeah, I'm like, playing Batman. Okay, well, sure, but like, not a I'm gonna kick your ass, Batman, and that's a different role too. You don't like, even know what if you see Michael Keaton, you're not like, I don't know, your movie I think is just taken down by that thing. That's my only casting choice, and I can hit you on because I think Chadwick Boseman is a good choice. I debated on that for my movie, but you fuckers chose against my uh, Back to Back to the Future uh, casting for him. But I, I think. Um, I think Michael Keaton is such a bad choice for your role. I would need to see in your movie, in your movie, I would need to see someone like Tom Hardy. Like if you pass, if you cast Tom Hardy as mother Michael Keaton role, sure. He's an intimidating figure. He is a reason that these people are intimidated by people are oppressed. They're not going to be oppressed by someone who's fucking like five, nine and 130 pounds like Michael Keaton. Like, I don't know how much he fucking weighs or, or does it, but no one is intimidated by Michael Keaton. And if people are trying to rise from oppression, no one is being oppressed by Michael fucking Keaton. No one. You need someone more intimidating in your role and you don't have anyone that can be intimidating. All right. Just as a, as a consultant judge here, I think we need to get off the Michael Keaton point. Yeah. I was about to say, if we, I think we've heard everything we heard about. I mean, we, we've said everything we need to say. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, if you guys have no other thoughts, I think my mind is made up. If you have any last thoughts, Bobby, to put in there. Uh, I'm personally still leaning Joe. Uh, I do think that the Michael Keaton casting is not perfect, but I would take Bad. it. So um, I just think that movie sounds more interesting than a pretty much remake of the original. I like the MMA take. I like the cast. I do that. Yeah, I'm coming in the same way, too. I think if you're going to make On the Waterfront in a modern lens, I think Joe has a way to do it. MMA is very popular right now, and I, I like the social commentary. I like the casting. I think it does a lot more to bring the story at its core is the same, but it brings it to a modern lens, a modern audience, and I think Johnny's is just a little bit too tied to the original and a little bit too similar, so I'm going to give him this one to Joe. I agree. Yeah. I, I didn't have much to fight on there. Yeah, I was, was like, I'm going to fight for my life, but... I'm not gonna lie, Johnny. I'm disappointed by that for you, but I know you love that movie, so it's I, I, it's I in my top twenty-five as well. Like I'm not. Yeah, Joe, Joe, and I both love that movie, and we. Both, the only reason happened. we picked that is because we both really like make me pitching a prequel, but like repitching the same movie, it's gonna be worse no matter what. Like there's yeah. just no making that movie better. There's no improving it. So I don't know. As soon as Joe was like, "Oh, I'm gonna make a social commentary," I was like. Well, that's what I was going to do, but I changed it to Back to the Future. Um, <laughs> literally, Joe's movie is what I was going to make, and then I couldn't do anything with Back to the Future. And I was like, hey, I like this idea. And you fuckers chose against me. So, um, 
All right, I'm gonna go. Uh, what's the we score had some live here? comments as well, but there. Yeah, well, let's go with those, and let me look at what I want to go next. Michael Keaton is a bad Fucking choice. Right. He is a bad choice. I mean, yeah, Joe's review is better. Yeah, the worst point. Yeah. Joe, Michael Keaton was such a bad choice for that role. Hey, but like, Mike, Michael Mitchell said Michael Keaton made people shit their pants in Spider-Man. Can be very yeah, Mike, who, yeah. who the fuck knows who that is? Right. Just, <laughs> not, yeah, he's, he's, not our, he's not our younger brother at all. But no, I mean, I agree he can be intimidating, but as a fighter. Not, not as a fighter. But the, the thing is. Joel Edgerton would have been a good role. Yes, but Joe's pitch overall was just to me a lot better. No, his his was way fucking better. Obviously. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, let's go to. Just move down the list. Let's go. <laughs> no, we're not just going down. We're, we're okay, also at a pretty um, long. I think we're yeah. We're gonna minutes. we're gonna skip down to probably my second longest pitch. We're gonna go to uh, spawn. All right. I don't want to, have to do this later after a few more drinks. All right, who recast? And, um, wait, wait. No, I'll go first. Spawn is an all-time famous bomb movie. It came out in 1997. It was pretty <laughs> terrible. It's a comic book action thriller about a covert government assassin named Al Simmons who is killed after uh, being double-crossed by his boss. And upon arriving in hell, Simmons is offered an opportunity to return to Earth, but only if he's willing to be a leader of an evil army. He accepts and is reincarnated as Hellspawn, a twisted, horribly disfigured version of his former self. However, Spawn decides to serve as a force of good, much to the dismay of a devil's henchman, a wicked, crazy con guy. Spawn <laughs> is directed by Mark A.Z. DePay. Uh, if it was better, I would have tried to pronounce your name right, but it was bad. Uh, his stars are Michael J. White, Martin Sheen, and Dalek Wazamo, and it has a terrible uh, 70% on Rotten Tomatoes that I think is 70% too high. Seventy-one percent too high. Okay, well, here's who goes my first? Thing. Um, I'm going first. All right. There's only one rule to use for this movie, and if Joe didn't use the same rule, then he's wrong. I'm making Spawn NC17. We'll see um, what I did. Yeah, we'll see. Joe's wrong if he didn't do that. So it's uh, it's a very violent comic. It's a very violent subject matter. If you know anything about the comics or have ever read them. Um, it needs to essentially be NC-17 to stay true to what they did in the comics. Um, here's my thing. My director is who is rumored to direct the Spawn movie if it ever came out, which is the creator of the character and the writer of the comics, Todd McFarlane. Um, my Al Simmons slash Spawn is Jonathan Majors. Um, he was in The Last Black Man in San Francisco and The Five Bloods. I think he has the look. I think he has the acting ability to uh, play Spawn very well. My Wanda, which is uh, Al's wife, uh, is played by Teoyna Paris, which is the uh, pretty much the lead star in Chirac, also in Dear White People. She's a very good actress. I want to see uh, what she can do in this role. My uh, Chapel, which is going to play a role in my pitch, is played by Winston Duke, who was in Us. He was in uh, Black Panther, um, and my Violator, which is the clown, is played by uh, Paul Walter Hauser, who is in Black Klansman, and he's the lead in Richard Jewell. He has the look. He has the style of, uh, of the clown character from the comic books. My Billy Kincaid, uh, who will be a part in my pitch, is played by Sam Rockwell. And then my Malbogia, which is basically the devil who makes the deal with Spawn, is uh, going to be voiced because he's a big CGI character. He's going to be voiced by Keith David, 
who is a super famous actor. Everyone would know him if they looked him up, but he was in Armageddon. He was in The Thing. He voiced Spawn in the cartoon in the 90s. So I think that's a good throwback to it. Um, so here's my pitch for, for Spawn, which I'm uh, very passionate about. Al Simmons and his partner, Bruce Stinson, codenamed Chapel, are mercenaries working for their former CIA boss, Jason Wynn. Wynn sends them on a mission in Botswana, which goes horribly wrong when they are ambushed and Al is killed. He awakens in hell. He awakens in hell and is brought to uh, Melbogia. Uh, he is given the opportunity to return to Earth, working as a hell spawn to bring Melbogia the souls of people meant for hell. Al agrees as long as he is given the chance to see his wife Wanda again. So the deal with the devil is done. Now becoming Spawn, he is horribly disfigured, went out of his suit, and is being watched by an evil demon resembling a clown, uh, an evil clown known as the Violator. Al goes to visit his wife Wanda, but his wife is afraid of him because he is so deformed um, and she knows he is dead. Spawn makes it his mission to kill evildoers in New York to prove his love for her. Um, he takes down a mafia-ridden building to get information about a string of child murders. He discovers a man named Kincaid is alluring children using an ice cream truck and brutally murdering them. Um, Spawn hunts down Kincaid, tortures him in the back of his ice cream truck. He stabs him with broken popsicle sticks. Um, in all areas of his body and ice cream scoopers. Then he rips apart him with chains. Uh, Violator uh, then tells Spawn he has a new mission to kill his old partner, Chapel. Uh, Spawn is reluctant until he discovers his old partner betrayed him, and that is why uh, that is what led to the ambush. Spawn travels to Botswana to hunt down Chapel, where they have a bloody and violent fight with Spawn ripping apart and shooting goons after goons before confronting Chapel. Spawn defeats Chapel, has his chain around his partner's, his old partner's neck. Chapel says, I had to do it. They would have killed me. Spawn replies, better them than me, before violently decapitating him. Um, so that's my that's my Spawn movie. It's going to have a lot of violence. It's going to have a lot of relevance to the comic books. It's going to be way different than the shitty movie that came out. Um, and it's going to have a lot of bloody, violent kills. Spawn using both his two SMGs uh, in his hands and his chains to just tear through people and uh, and rip people apart. So that's my Spawn movie. All right. So uh, for my Spawn, my cast, my Spawn is uh, Idris, or my director, sorry, is uh, James Gunn. My for my cast, my Spawn is going to be Idris Elba. My Violator is going to be Michael Rooker. My Wanda Blake is going to be uh, Zoe Saldana. And my uh, Terry Fitzgerald is going to be Chiwetel Ejiofor. And then I just have like an unnamed member of a New York head of the New York City gang, Michael K. Williams. He's going to be like the main villain of the movie. I just didn't give him a name because I didn't feel like making one up. You didn't feel like knowing the comics? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I didn't feel like doing a lot of research on this. <laughs> I was like, Eh, he has a name. I'm just not going to come up with it. So I'm mostly skipping the origin story with Spawn's origin shown over the opening credits, similar to the Ed Norton Hulk movie. Uh, in my movie, Spawn, who has been operating for about a year, is starting to get his memories back. He has visions of his wife, Wanda, and his life in the military. He eventually figures out his true identity, Al Simmons. Uh, meanwhile, he has to de- deal with his guardian from hell, the Violator, and disrupt a New York City gang 
uh, known for uh, trafficking underage girls and drugs and who is currently threatening his ex-wife and her new husband, Terry Fitzgerald, because of Terry's uh, gambling debts. Uh, the movie has themes of PTSD and veterans, and it has over-the-top violence and sex as any Spawn movie should because the rule I'm using is I'm making the movie NC-17. And that's my pitch. Yeah. All right. Well, hit us. Tell us All what right. we got to do. First off, Bobby, do you have any comments on that? Um, I have a question, I think, for each of you. Um, so for Johnny, right now I'm basically at a point where I like Johnny's pitch more. Um, but I like Joe's director more. I do. I hate the choice Wrong. of using Todd Mc. I hate the choice of using Todd McFarland. So I just, I basically just want a justification from Johnny because there's not a lot of comic creators who can go straight from comics to doing a directing job. Like Frank Miller did the Spirit, which was awful. But yeah. I did like your 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 pitch. So just kind of justify that choice. And then for Joe, um, Spawn is not a very known character. So why did you decide to have his origin story in the credits um, to introduce that? Here, here's, I'll start. My thing with making Todd McFarlane the director is because I think the only way my movie gets made, which is the only good version of Spawn, is if they just say, Todd McFarlane, make whatever you want to do. We don't care how much money it makes. We had to make one an NC-17 movie. Fucking James Gunn, who is a big-name director, there's no way in hell that any studio is like, James Gunn, make an NC-17 movie. There's not. There's no way. I looked up every single NC-17 director in history, and I was like, I'm going to try to pick one. The only one that made one in the last basically 10 years was the dude who did The Exorcist. He did kill. Uh, he did Killer Joe. That was in 2011. The guy's 85. Not realistically, there's no actual NC-17 movies made today. And if the studio said, James Gunn, you're making Spawn, it's at most R, but most realistically PG-13. So I said, you know, if Todd McFarlane gets the green light, he can make whatever movie he wants to make, and he can make an NC-17. He is the only person that can probably make an NC-17 spawn realistically in the real world. Um, there's no chance in any any real world that James Gunn is given the green light to make an NC-17 spawn movie. So that that's that's why I went with uh, Tom McFarlane. I don't know how great of a director he is but i know that he can write spawn and he can write the right script and he can do my pitch and maybe his edits are a little off but his movie is still getting better than anything else that's out there okay and joe kind of if you remember my question just more of a with an unknown character why is it a good choice to do the i think i mean the main Obviously, there's more to an origin story than a few things, but the main thing with Spawn, Spawn's origin story, it, from at least what I read on Wikipedia, like I read his comics like a long <laughs> time ago, but it's basically like he died, he was in the military, he was killed, uh, and the devil made him the deal of like, you can go back to Earth and see your wife, but you have to work for me, and he said, all right, the devil, the you know, the demon or devil sent him back to Earth, but 
basically erased all his memories. And I just told you Spawn's basic origin story in like 20 seconds. And I feel like in the opening two and a half minutes, you can expand on that a little more, show it with some visuals and people will get it. They don't need a full two hour movie to understand Spawn's origin story. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, Tristan go and then we'll, we'll do our, our thing. Yeah, can I make one thing against his like Todd McFarlane or Tristan, do you have well, let's go fight? Tristan, Tristan oh, okay. go. And then, and yeah. then we'll do our fights. Yeah. My, my biggest question for Joe is, is, is James Gunn. I'm not sure he's quite the right fit for this. I would like to have you give some defense on James Gunn as a directorial choice. I don't know if he could pull off the tone or pull off the NC 17 insanity of this movie. Yeah, like, I mean, people think of James Gunn and they think now the new Suicide Squad and they think of Guardians of the Galaxy, but he also did Super and Slither and other movies that were like hard R, like violent movies about Rain Wilson going around beating a guy, beating people in the head with a wrench. Like, he's not just like the PG-13 family-friendly comedy movies that he's done recently. He's done more like R-rated, darker movies. He's not, you know, it's not completely out of his wheelhouse to do a violent movie yeah okay well here's here's my thing with with joe's james gunn is a fine director like he makes some some good movies some shitty movies but like his level of violence is like slither and super like there's no reason for james gunn to make an nc-17 movie so your rule doesn't apply because there's no world where james gunn makes one and there's no world where a studio approves Spawn NC-17 directed by a big-name director. James Gunn is better off doing the new Suicide Squad, which looks awesome. Like, I'm super excited for it. It looks very fun. You know what's not fun? The comic books of Spawn. Spawn is a very dark, uh, very violent uh, superhero that his villains are child rapists and murderers. He is the one that kills people that need to go to hell. The only way this movie gets an NC-17 and is said, do whatever you want with it, is if some lesser studio says, like A24 says, Todd McFarlane, do whatever the fuck you want with Spawn. We're going to fund you a little bit. Do it. It doesn't need to be a big budget um, because Spawn's big thing is that when he's on earth, if he uses a lot of his powers, he'll go back to hell and, and he can't use his power. So, so the movie needs to limit how much he actually like does his cool, like limit, like limitless power. You know, he, he basically goes back to hell if he uses that stuff because of necroplasm. Right. So my movie kind of goes into the comic book character. It lets Todd McFarlane do whatever he wants to do with the character. My movie is, Punisher Warzone of Spawn fans. It is not meant to make a bunch of movie uh, uh, money, but it is meant to anyone who's an actual fan of this character will love it. Punisher Warzone is an outstanding movie that failed because it wasn't meant for the general audience, right? Like Lexi Alexander saw the comics, said, this is crazy shit. I'm going to make it crazy. That's what I want Todd McFarlane to do with this movie James Gunn is a terrible uh, director for your movie because there is no world where James Gunn humor fits in with Spawn comics and makes it good. There's just no way. Like, it's either a shitty James Gunn movie or a shitty Spawn movie. Yeah, I feel like directors, though, can do different things than just, like, one style. We see directors that can do have done comedies 
and of directors that can also do serious movies. Like look at someone like Jordan Peele, who was known for yeah, and that's not who's directing your movie. No, I'm just saying that it's possible. Yeah, but okay, what has James Gunn done to show that he can do an NC-17 spawn? He can do this spawn. He can. He's done darker. He's had a movie where a side, a female sidekick, like raped her fucking like mentor in Super. Yeah, in Super, a girl's head gets blown off. It's a pretty violent movie, but like, it's not NC-17, and it's and I it, feel like a, it's still a humorous movie. Like, here's my thing. Don't bring humor into Spawn, okay? Or you're doing it wrong. James Gunn, if if you're saying, I'm going to make a very serious superhero movie and it's directed by James Gunn, I'm going to tell you, you picked the wrong director. Fucking Spawn, in no point in the comics, has any bit of humor, okay? The movie fucked up so much in the, in the you know, whatever that movie was made because they were like, well, it's a superhero movie. We have to have some some levity and some one-liners and some comedy. No. Spawn is a mercenary assassin who murdered people, sent to hell, made a deal with the devil to come back and kill child molesters. There's no humor in Spawn comics, so James Gunn, get the fuck out of my Spawn movie. You have no reason to be in it. There is no humor. There is no comedy. If you're making Spawn and you make it any bit James Gunn type of slither even comedy like you're making the wrong Spawn movie there's no defense against that and with Todd McFarlane okay the tone might be right and the script might match the comics but there's no way that movie's like good there's no way except it's plenty good for anyone who's a Spawn fan and that's what I'm making this movie for like just like I'm saying Punisher Warzone if you're a fan of Punisher, you like Punisher Warzone. If you're a fan of just movies and you don't know shit about Punisher, you probably don't like that movie, but it's fucking amazing. I love the shit out of that movie. So, so That's you what I'm making. That most people are not going to like your Spawn movie. Yeah, boo fucking who. They're wrong. <laughs> All right, I feel like we're just going to go back and forth. Yeah, you, guys have you, guys about Do you guys have any other points you can bring out other than attacking each other's director choice? I mean, all I can say is that I, I think my cast is better. Um, Joe's cast is is not like up-and-coming people. It's not people that I'm excited to go see. Um, there's no one in his movie that I'm like, oh, yeah, that fits the character. If you know the comics um, at all, um, Joe's characters are wrong and his actors are wrong, and uh, and I think mine mine just fit better with that. So I don't know. I stuck true to the comics and maybe that hurts me because not many people know spawn comics, but I tried to stick mine as close to the comics as, uh, as I could. Yeah. I mean, I tried to make it at least when I, at least when I do my, cast Joe read the Wikipedia up. and was like, I'm going to look up people. That's I mean, all. that's not entirely inaccurate, but I think when I cast my movie, <laughs> I try to cast people that it's like, okay, this would be a movie. People would try and go see, even though it's like NC 17 which obviously yeah. is going to reduce your box office and reduce interest. But I also like to cast people that I'm like, this could be a viable movie that people would. Yeah. Be that, that's my with. main thing is if you're making an NC 17 movie, you're not trying to cast it as, Hey, maybe might maybe people might see this like that. That's my thing. If you're casting an NC 17 movie and you make an NC 17 movie, there's nothing in your movie that says, maybe we should make a movie that people will see. No, you're just making the movie you want to make. I don't know. 
All right. Uh, I think I've heard a good amount of arguments here. Bobby, do you have any thoughts on these? Elliot, have heard them argue it out. Uh, yeah. I mean, my, my only main question on Johnny's was the director. Um, and I think he justified it well. Um, as far as an NC-17 movie, like it doesn't need to be some, you know, established director to make something that's going to be this crazy. Uh, for Joe's, I actually didn't mind James Gunn. I think that fit like the Belko exter- experiment is he didn't direct it, but he was heavily involved and that's very violent and crazy. Um, but at the same time, he strayed away from the comics. I don't think it's necessarily as good of a casting choice. So I would, I would go with Johnny's personally, but you know, I, it's, it's, that's just my, my uh, choice there. Yeah. I feel like James Gunn is something that like a studio would pick if they're actually going to make a spawn movie, like a, our PG-13 Spawn movie that went out to theaters and tried to be a big box office hit, I think James Gunn would fit. But he's not someone that I would want to make a Spawn movie. As someone who's like vaguely familiar with the Spawn cartoon and read some of the comics, I think James Gunn would make a good comic movie, but not a good Spawn movie. And I think if I went to see a James Gunn movie, I want humor and I want some kind of tongue-in-cheek. He'd pull off the big action in the in the gore, but I don't think he would pull off the tone very well. And I think if they're going to make an NC-17 Spawn movie, I think it makes sense to be like this straight to HBO Max kind of Snyder Cut style, like for the fans movie. So I think bringing in Tom McFarlane as the director kind of makes sense there if you're just trying to make this like a movie for the fans. And I think I'd give the edge there to Johnny on that. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he seemed way more passionate than me, who just like read a Wikipedia page. And I actually watched know HBO about trailer. Spawn. That's that's what hurt Joe. I know. Yeah, I just Spawn. read the Wikipedia page about the original <laughs> Spawn, like the character itself, and then watched the trailer for the HBO yeah. series. I had heard that Johnny yeah. knows Spawn, and I know Spawn, and I was just like, that doesn't sound like it. So, <laughs> yeah. Also, uh, we're doing the raid next. If you guys can make conversation I, for I thought people. that was gonna work what you were gonna do for some reason. Yeah, now, you take a break for just yeah, a yeah. minute. Yeah, I know that yeah. was a um yeah. Next time I, I play Johnny, I have to do movies that I like that he doesn't know about. That's what I've right. Played. Yeah, That's no, I mean I knew as soon as you picked spawn that Johnny would have an advantage there. Um but I <laughs> but at the same point, I also thought Johnny would have an advantage on the waterfront, and I love Joe's. Joe's pitch way more. Well, so. well, Joe, Joe and I both love that movie so much. Like yeah, it's yeah. both in our top 25 ever made. So like that one, I, I, I was a little worried. Honestly, that one came down to, I used different rules for other movies. And I was like, I don't know what to do for this one. So I was going to do the Chadwick Boseman for that one. Again, I was going to cast Chadwick Boseman just like Joe. Yeah. Because I had the, the double user rule. Have you used that yet, or we haven't got to I, that? I haven't. Yeah, yeah. I haven't gotten to it yet. You're you're getting to dangerous territory, Joe. Maybe. I mean, I don't know because he. I don't know the the. Um, Wait, what's is it four two? Yeah, I four two. Yeah. I I need to win. Yeah, one he wins one more time. I I need to go to just to win, win and then yeah. I need to get another repeater rule against him, which should be amazing. Right. Yeah, the, <sighs> these repeater rules suck ass. That's what I've learned. Because yeah, he needs to win one of the next three, and I need to win three of the next three. Yeah, no, I'm going to be honest yeah. though. This, this one's a tough one. This next so, one we're doing. Raid. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because essentially the raid was already remade as an American movie as Dread, which yeah. is great. So 
basically you just have to make it better than that. Yeah. All right, I am back just in time for the raid. Great movie. I'm really curious what you guys do for this because, like you said, uh, Dread was basically the raid. <laughs> we have a good raid sequel, <clears throat> so I'm really excited to see what you guys are going to do with this. The raid is a 2001 Indonesian action thriller, written and directed by aforementioned Gareth Evans. Uh, the film stars Biko U.S. as a rookie member of an elite squad, has to infiltrate a high-rise building run by a ruthless drug lord located in the, slum, in the slums of Indonesia's capital. It has an 86% on Rotten Tomatoes, which I think is pretty good rating for, you know, a foreign action movie that came out, and which is like a massive hit for movie fans. So I'm excited. Who's going first? Uh, I'll go first, I guess. I don't remember who went first last time, but I'll, I don't care. I'll go first. So uh, my director is going to be uh, Newt Arnold, who directed Bloodsport. Uh, my Rama replacing Iko Uwes is Bruce Lee because the rule I use is I cast uh, only dead actors. So his wife, that's basically a very small role in the opening movie, is going to be played by Brittany Murphy. Uh, the main villain is going to be played by Heath Ledger. Um, the right-hand man, Mad Dog, is going to be played by Brandon Lee. So we're going to get a good uh, Bruce Lee-Brandon Lee fight. Uh, and the other right-hand man is going to be Tashiro Mifune, who is in a lot of the Akira Kurosawa movies. Uh, the main police lieutenant uh, is going to be Steve McQueen. And some of the other cops I cast are Patrick Swayze, Paul Walker, and James Dean. And some of the other villains are Roddy Piper, Ewell Brenner, and Michael Clark Duncan. Now, I just want to say, get ready for an extremely long pitch. Uh, the plot is identical in nearly every way, but maybe with some new and different stunt choreography. And it's in English and set in New York City. And that's going to be my pitch for my version of The Raid. I was opening the beer for a long pitch, and then you were a sentence. <laughs> yeah, that was a, uh, you need the sarcasm sign yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. Out of character for such a short pitch. Usually you're giving us, you know, that's true. Yeah, but it's the raid. Like, what am I out here going to change then? Like you change yeah. much and it's no longer the raid. Yeah. It's just an action movie. So I don't mind that. Actually, I like that. So let's, let's hear Johnny. All right. So my movie um, is going to take place uh, also in the seventies because that is my repeat rule. I'm doing another movie taking place in the seventies. Um, I don't remember honestly, if I did this rule already or not. Did I? I don't Let's know, see. man. No, you did, did not, Johnny. You did not. No. Then that's not my repeater rule. <laughs> Wait, what? Okay, let me see. You did dead actors, but you did not do 70s. Cool. All right, this is my 70s on none. All right, so not a repeater rule. I did dead actors twice. All right, this is my, uh, but I am setting this movie in 1976. Um, it's The Raid. It's starring... Uh, Jackie Chan, and it's directed by Wei Lo, who did Fist of Fury, starring Bruce Lee. Um, it's about a group of police officers set to raid a drunk kingpin's hideout. A rookie cop, played by Bruce Lee, is the lead. Uh, they fight through layers of enemies in martial arts showdowns to find the drug kingpin. Um, it also stars Chong Jun uh, Lee, Lee Lo uh, from uh, Five Five Fingers of Death, uh, Chia Hu. Liu from Bulletproof Monk. Uh, he was still big in the 70s. Um, and and that's my movie. It's going to be a 70s martial arts Bruce Lee style movie, 
but it's going to be basically Jackie Chan's uh, breakout movie where he plays, you know, he, he was uh, in the, the police movies anyway. So he's going to be playing a uh, FBI agent. He's going to go into the tower and just kick people's ass. He does his own stunt so he can climb up layers and layers of this like hotel tower um, where, where he can just like do crazy again, like crazy stunts, crazy fight scenes. It's going to be the raid, but in the seventies, it's obviously less violent. Um, so it's going to be Jackie Chan having martial arts showdowns with a lot of big martial arts stars of the time in the seventies when those movies were huge. All right. All right. Uh, my first question for Johnny is that the original raid had this sort of like intense, almost gritty feel to it where, or would you go for that? Or would you go for more of the, like the bigger martial arts style movies? What, how, what is the, the scale of your movie here? Mine's going to be more in the style of um, it's not going to be as violent as like the current day raid, because those movies were not being made in the seventies. Um, my movie is going to be, more of a martial arts. I'm going to go on each, basically like a video game. Every layer is a new villain and I'm going to have a martial arts fight with these people. And um, it's going to have like enter the dragon and fist of fury style fight scenes with people. Um, So I I think that is what will make this movie exciting. It takes place in the seventies. So obviously you're not going to have someone fucking stabbing a machete through a wall and then stabbing through someone's shoulder. Those movies weren't being made as far as martial arts movies. If you've ever seen Enter the Dragon, it's a fantastic martial arts movie, but it is not a very violent film. So that is what I would love the raid. Like obviously like nowadays the raid is an amazing action movie. But if you made that movie in the seventies, it would have no violence. Like it would be good fight scenes. And I have the same question for you, Joe. How violent is your movie? What's the, the tone here? Are we going for I mean, very intense and shaky cam kind of violence, or is it going to be more like more like Johnny's? Yeah, mine's going to be a lot more like the violence and stuff of the raid of the like original raid movie, and that's kind of why I, I mean I use this rule is because I want to take mostly actors that were never able to be in movies that were this violent, like Bruce Lee, who was kind of in movies more like what Johnny was pitching, like Enter the Dragon, and then put him in a movie that's more modern and more violent like this. And to see what that's like is to take one of the best like movie fighters of all time and put him in a movie where he can finally show like all of his abilities and where he can use weapons and be violent and show a more realistic version of fighting. All right, Bobby, do you have any thoughts before they come and battle it out here? Um, I mean, really, I'm kind of 50-50. I like both pitches. Um, I just kind of need to hear you argue it out, but I, I just need to hear Johnny's justification of why he would pitch a movie that's not quite as, you know, action. You know, the action in the raid is what makes that movie, and I feel like you tone that down. So I just need to hear that justification. My My justification is it would still have the same amount of action. It would just be seventies martial arts style action instead of nowadays violent, the raid, like Bruce Lee would never be in a movie where he is fucking shooting someone in the face and making their face bleed out or stabbing their eyes out. Like that's not a Bruce Lee movie. So like 
if you're going to be like, oh, I'm only going to use dead people, but then I'm going to make Bruce Lee, like make a raid style violent movie. It's not realistic. Like you got to at least make it. You got to at least make a movie that is similar to the movies they made. You know, you can't just be like, oh, I'm only going to cast dead actors and then make a movie that they never made. Like my movie is a more realistic style Kung Fu movie that came out in the seventies than what Joe basically is like, I'm going to take a bunch of dead people who never did anything like this, but then give it the raid style violence. Like that's, that's not what this rule is. And that's not what these movies are. It's, you know, if you're casting only dead actors, at least keep it true to what they did in their lifespan. And if you're going to cast the raid as a martial arts movie, make it more like enter the dragon or fist of fury where it's actual martial arts fights Maybe it's not as violent, but you still have really cool fight scenes full of like actual martial arts techniques. That's what I want to see. The raid is more like, you know, violent um, stuff that isn't done in the 70s. So I cast mine in the 70s, more realistic. It's not going to be a violent fight movie. It's going to be a PG-13 nowadays, what would be a PG-13 style fight movie. And Joe basically was like, well, I'm I'm going to make those actors who never did anything like this and then uh, make that movie. Yeah. See, that's intentionally why I cast someone like Bruce Lee who never did anything like it at the time. Cause they weren't making movies like that. So I took someone who was an iconic, you know, movie star who wasn't able to do a movie like this, but who knows fight choreography and put him and be like, Hey, now we're going to make a movie like this that he's capable of doing. It's not like I took somebody who, you know, was like, played like weird nerdy characters that never fought and be like, Hey, you're going to be the star of my raid movie. You know? He's yeah. And I get that, like but this. like, but like if you're going to cast Bruce Lee, make it a Bruce Lee movie, you cast Bruce Lee and made it a raid movie. Like I get because it. I'd rather raid. see Bruce Lee do this type of, movie you would, but Bruce Lee Bruce would Lee have never have done something like that because Bruce Lee was a true martial artist. He was respectful to, the art of it. And he wanted to have respectable fight scenes. Like that's a reason why, you know, like there were still NC 17 movies being made at that time. Like you, midnight cowboy won best picture and it was a super violent sexual movie in the, in the late sixties. But Bruce Lee was not like, you know what I want to do? Make a super violent fight scene. No, Bruce Lee was like, I want to have fight scenes against Chuck Norris. Who's another martial arts master. And he wasn't like, I'm going to fucking poke his eyes out in one scene. Like, you can't make your movie violent and make it a Bruce Lee movie. Like, that just isn't true to Bruce Lee. I get that you're like, well, I'm going to cast it like it's nowadays. And Bruce Lee is like, you know, nowadays actor, eco you waste. But like, no, like, that's not what Bruce Lee was. He wants to have classical, you know, martial arts style fight scenes with, other people that do martial arts, he's not going to be like, I'm going to fucking get stabbed through the shoulder and bleed and make it a more violent rage style movie. I think your movie would be better if you just went the way I did it. And we're like, we're going to take this style of movie, but make it an old school Kung Fu movie. And and you didn't do that. I, I, I just think don't that's know what, what up separates your, your movie more than like all of the other Kung Fu movies from that era. Of just like because you know, there weren't different. enough from that era, and this movie is amazing. So like, but it's just the like, dragon is great, and like I'd love to see a sequel to it. Uh, the raid plays to a 
kind of style sequel. Jackie Stan, uh, Jackie Stan, Jackie Chan in 1976 was a kind of a breakthrough. This would have been his work, like one of his first like big movies. Um, and directed by someone who already made a good movie, Fist of Fury, with uh, with uh, Bruce Lee. It would have shown off Jackie Chan's ability to not only have good fight scenes, but be able to get from floor to floor with epic, you know, stunts. And I think that's what it brings more than like the raid nowadays, which is like awesome violence. What the raid was missing was cool stunt scenes. And that's why I cast Jackie Chan instead of Bruce Lee. If you're going to cast Bruce Lee, have good martial arts fights, but don't be like, this is Bruce Lee in a violent movie. Like it just doesn't fit what he did in his career. Well, he should change it up because that's what the people want. We want violence. This is America. We like violence. We like to see people get fucked up. This is America is a bad argument because this fucking country's fucked up. All right. Um, I don't know. What yeah. else we got to say, Joe? I think what else we got to say? Yeah, so if you have any last words, Joe, here to send him out. Otherwise, I'm do the said. Yeah, basically, like, I don't know if necessarily – Bruce Lee would have just sworn off like, oh, I'm not doing a violent movie. Like, I don't know if we can definitively say Bruce Lee's like, nope, I'm against violence. I'm just going to do like a PG-13 fight scene. Personally, I don't need to hear a rebuttal to that because that's kind of been the argument. Yeah, you guys have heard this a lot, so I think we're good on this debate. Uh, Bobby, do you have any thoughts after you've heard them argue about Bruce Lee? Um, honestly, I'm leaning Joe right now, just based on, I just, it just sounds more entertaining for a raid reboot or like a remake to me. Or Um, a early, the raid, the raid would basically be a remake of that. Right. Exactly. But, um, personally, I think Bruce Lee, I think that's a good choice. Uh, I think the way he pitched the movie was a good choice to me. Uh, I didn't love how it would be in the style of just a enter the dragon type movie to me for the raid. Uh, so I'm leaning Joe, but I liked both pitches. So, yeah, I think they're both good pitches, but ultimately I think that what made the raid interesting was that intense violence and that really gritty kind of feel to it. So I think even though I would love to see a Kung Fu movie where they're climbing through the floors and, and battling boss fights, I don't quite think it matches the raid. And I'm going to give this slight win to Joe just just for that. Oh, shit. Bad choice. I thought I lost. Yeah, Joe should have lost. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I thought I did. No, I liked yours more. And yeah, I will say... Just because Johnny argues more does not mean he wins, just to say that. <laughs> I say, I'm right. brother of uh, Johnny. If you can, just like when this is over, go watch Cole and Michael's uh, conversation in the live chat. Cause they're just having a full on conversation. So and yeah, I'm not well, gonna, like, you don't need to put those up, but all right, we'll yeah, do that. I'm just going to say, well, I, I just think, I just think I, I'm just pitching you the wrong audience because I'm not pitching to people who liked old school martial arts films. Yeah, I, I did love from my movies. movies. I did. I really no, do. You did I, not. And you don't, and you hate them. Yeah, <laughs> all right. Okay. My, my movie I'm, I'm going to go with next is Slapshot. All right. And I I'm do. Gonna... This is one of my favorite movies. So, oh, whoops. Yeah. Well, yeah. Joe and I fucking fucked this up. I'm gonna make Joe go first. All right. I didn't do much. All right. So, so sorry. Who don't know? Slapshot came out in 1977. Oh. It's an American sports comedy. 
It's directed by George Roy Hill and stars Paul Newman and Michael uh, Antkeen, a failing Major League Hockey team, the Charlestown Chiefs. Uh, they're after years of failure, they're now entering the team's final season. And the exasperated coach is Rodney Dunlop. He's desperate, and he decides to let the club's new acquisitions, the Hanson brothers, play on the team for the final season. And the brothers are super violent and thuggish, and their style of play really excites the fans. And Dunlop uh, retools the team. He uses violence to draw big crowds to finally get an uh, audience for his failing uh, minor league hockey team. This has a 85% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is pretty good. All right, so Too I'm, low. Going, I'm going first. Uh, fun yep. fact, I've never actually, I've seen bits and pieces of this movie. I feel like I've probably seen the whole movie. Yeah, you're total. a bad I've just never sat through it one time from start to finish. So anyways, my director. Well, I've my seen direct, this movie probably a hundred times. Joe is a bad person. Yeah, my director is going to be uh, Peter Seagal, who directed Tommy um, Boy and the early 2000s Sandler movies. And that's because uh, my for my cast, my Reggie Dunlop is going to be Adam Sandler as the lead. Uh, McGrath is going to be Blake Clark. Uh, the best player on the team, Ned Braden, is going to be played by Wyatt Russell from uh, 22 Jump Street and Overlord. Francine Dunlop, his wife, is going to be Jennifer Aniston. Uh, Lily Braden is going to be Emmy Rossum. Uh, the owner of the team, Anita McCambridge, is going to be played by Catherine Hahn. And the Hanson brothers... Uh, what is probably the hardest casting I've had this entire episode. And I just went with uh, Stephen Amell, Robbie Amell, and I needed a third one. I couldn't find anyone, so I went with Nick Jonas. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I I could tell by Bobby's face I'm really going to need Tristan here because I don't think I'm going to have Bobby's vote. So on the last year of his NHL contract, Re- Reggie is sent down to the minor league hockey team, the Charlestown Chiefs, who finished in last place last season. He says he would like to coach after his career is over and says that he wants to be named player coach or he was retiring and the organization agrees to his terms. Uh, the rest of the movie p- mostly plays out the same as the original with him creating a team of bruisers and goons to the championship. However, the tone is more of a comedy similar to that of The Longest Yard. Uh, for my rule, I'm using the rule of a celebrity must cameo as themselves. And at some point during the movie, as the Chiefs get closer to the playoffs, Dunlap goes on Dan, Ta- Dan Patrick's show to be interviewed and promote the next game. And that's my pitch for Slapshot. Tom? Just as a quick, like, as much as I didn't like a couple, like, mostly just one group casting choice. The Hanson brothers who are impossible to cast for me? Yes. Um, I did actually like that. So let's okay. we'll go for Well, there. here's my thing. All right, my slap shot, directed by Michael Dowse, who did Goon, um, which was probably the last good, decent comedy hockey movie ever made. Maybe the second only, probably the only good one other than Slapshot. Um, my Reggie Dunlap is played by Jared Kiso, who uh, was the lead in Letter Kenny, because he's not only fucking hysterical, he can also play hockey. Uh, my Hanson brothers are Channing Tatum, Dylan Playfair and Andrew Herr, which if you don't know uh, the other two people in that uh, are Riley and Jonesy from Letterkenny and they're super funny. Um, And uh, here's my pitch. Reggie Dunlap is a player coach of a failing hockey team. He wants to return hockey to the good old days of fighting and being goons. He leads his team to beat the hell out of everyone 
they contend with until they go up against a skilled young team led by my rule, my celebrity cameo, Connor McDavid. McDavid easily skates around the entire Chiefs team and scores 12 goals, ending the Chiefs franchise and teaching the world we are past the point of old school hockey. Um, my movie is going to be a comedy, but it's also going to teach the world that fighting and uh, giving each other concussions is well past the point of current day hockey. And current day hockey is all about uh, speed and fun skating and uh, players that can score. So Connor McDavid is the best player in the world. He is my celebrity cameo. And he's just going to, instead of that last game being just people beating the shit out of each other, like in the original Slapshot, it's going to be hilarious when Connor McDavid just comes out and they try to fight people and he just fucking skates the shit around them and just scores 12 goals. And it's just like, yeah, you guys are fucking goons. You guys suck. So that's my Slapshot movie. All right, my first comment here is that Adam Sandler has been terrible for like 10 years, so I think I <laughs> defend that choice because anytime I see Adam Sandler leading a movie, I just think, well, I'm not watching that one. And Uncut Gems fucking begs to differ. Okay, Uncut Gems is good, but Adam Sandler in a hockey movie is literally like Love Guru level, air, like terrible. And Love he Guru played one like of the, the most famous movie. fictional hockey happy. players of all time. Yeah, one time in like but what, like 27 years ago? It doesn't matter. It's still better than zero times. I guess that's some logic. As, as far as the consultant judge here goes who loves this movie, um, pitch-wise, I actually love Joe's pitch um, yeah. better than Johnny's, but uh, I do not like the casting of the Hanson brothers. Um but as I as, literally spent an hour on the casting of the Hanson brothers. I just gave the fuck up. Yeah, I don't like the Amel yeah, brothers. Right. I don't think they're great. Yeah, bad um, choice. They're bad actors and not so, funny. Right. Like I, I like Stephen Amel as Arrow, but he's really not a great actor. Um, and his brother is not much better. I think but it's his for, cousin, but yeah, cousin. Sorry, his cousin. Uh, is is he's okay? He's he. I think he's a little better. Um, but as far as Johnny goes, um. I just didn't. I don't love Conor McGregor skating. No, nope. I wrong. I don't. Conor McDavid. <laughs> Conor McDavid, the hockey player, the <laughs> best player in the NHL. I don't. Okay, sorry. I I just said the wrong term. I don't love him as a celebrity cameo because I don't think that people know his face. So can you yeah, well, justify okay. that as a celebrity cameo? Because here's my thing. If Slapshot's made nowadays, I want it to make people more aware of the NHL and hockey in general. The problem the NHL has is is it doesn't promote its stars. Everyone on NBC Sports Network is stuck in the mud thinking that hockey needs to be, oh, these old school uh, grinders need to fight it out. Wrong. The NHL would be such a popular league if it promoted people who could skate and who could score and who were exciting. Connor McDavid, if you know the NHL, Connor McDavid is the most famous player in the league, right? So, you know, this fucker is a Blackhawks fan. So, like, basically this would be, like, 10 years ago if Patrick Kane was in a movie. So, like, okay, uh, like, Connor – yeah, no, uh, yeah, no, Taves is bad. 
So Connor McDavid is is the most popular player in the NHL. You put him in the movie, and I think it's funny to be like, oh yeah, all you like old school hundred hockey men pieces of shit. You think fighting and like grit is the way to win hockey, and then you make a full season of that, and then like they just get shit on by like the young skilled player. If you like the NHL for what it should become, you're gonna like this movie. Um, and hockey's not a big market anyway, so like you're not trying to make this movie a, a hundred million dollar movie. So like, make it fun. Make it make it make it basically an inside joke for the people who like to goon. Make it an inside joke for the people who like hockey. Like, you know, and and Jared Kiso can actually play hockey. He can actually skate. He was in Letterkenny doing all of the like legit hockey scenes. So like. And he's funny as shit in that show. So he would be a great Reggie Dunlop. Um, Channing Tatum is a super funny dude. And uh, Riley and Jonesy are two of the funniest characters in Leonard Kenny as well. So like those three, I think work better as the, as the Hanson brothers. And, and then, you know, you basically have the original uh, like can um, whatever they're called Charlestown chiefs. But then instead of the final game, they're just like, Oh, old school hockey, let's fight. They try to do that, and then Connor McDavid skates around all of them and scores 12 goals. I think that is more modern-day meta humor in terms of hockey, the way it's going, and I think I cast way better people in each role than, than Joe did because his handsome brothers, again, are terrible. All right. To defend, I'm not going to defend my handsome brother's choice because I'll even be because like, there's even no when defense. I wrote it, I'm like, this isn't good, but hopefully I can just survive yeah, on the rest of this pitch. no defense. But, my thing with your whole rule is like self-admittedly not a hockey fan. And I imagine, and I've like, I kind of like pay attention to some of it. Sometimes I have no idea who Connor McDavid is. Yep. And I feel like people like going to this movie when he shows up, unless you're like a bit and like, I still love goon. Uh, it's probably a movie. I quote nearly every day. Uh, and I understand all of that movie. And if you have Connor McDavid show up at the end of this movie, and it's supposed to be like this big thing of how he's so much better and faster because he's the best player in hockey. I might not even realize like that's a real guy and that's like him playing himself. And also if he's the best player in the NHL, why is he playing like a shitty minor league hockey team? Okay. Well, here's my thing with that is, how many NFL players can everyone name? How many NBA players? But can uh, okay, name? Tom Brady's the everyone, best. Everyone, like, right? The like, best player in the NFL, and like and the everybody in the world knows who he is. So here's my thing: the NHL needs to do that and to promote that. So the only way they can start trying to do that is by putting the best player in the league into a fucking motion picture. So like, you throw Connor McDavid into a movie. More people know who he is. More people check out your sport. And maybe people don't know who they are, who they see him. But anyone going to see Slapshot, everyone who is an NHL fan who knows who Connor McDavid is will see my movie. So all of those people already know who Connor McDavid is. Everyone else who don't know who Connor McDavid is going to the movie will look up who he is after the movie and will learn about the NHL. So you already get the best of both worlds from, from what I'm doing with my movie. Like everyone in the world knows who Tom Brady is, whether they watch the NFL or not. That's what the NHL, NHL should start doing. So having a cameo 
would be would be good for both the league and for a movie about hockey because everyone who knows about hockey knows who he is. Everyone who doesn't know about hockey who actually goes to see this movie maybe learns a little bit about hockey. That's my thing. Right. I need to get Joe's last take here. Just defend the Adam Sandler take because I'm not a big Adam Sandler fan and I think his movies are starting to die off. People aren't really watching him. You know, he's got a Netflix deal. And I think that's a sign of desperation. No one's really watching his movies. And why would you cast Adam Sandler as a lead in this style? Because movie? his, like, I mean, you have, like, your, his best movies, for the most part, are his sports movies. Like, obviously, I have, like, Billy Madison in there. But you have Happy 30 Gilmore. years ago. But you have Happy 30 Gilmore. years ago. Yeah, because he went away from sports movies. If he yeah, went, and he's his not last back good movie is The Longest Yard. So if he went back to playing this old, semi-kind-of-retired, like, last year of his contract NHL player, it might drive hype and it might get him back into form as far as comedies go no all right i think i made up my mind if bobby have any last thoughts here before i make my ruling oh we can't hear you can you hear me now yeah yep i think personally i'm leaning to johnny uh to me but um that's just more on the casting uh, and the pitch as far as the actual tone of the movie and the, the actors. I do actually like Adam Sandler, but I do not like your Hanson brothers. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a close call, but right now I'm leaning Johnny. Yeah, initially I was not so sure about Johnny's. I thought it was a little bit too, like, inside baseball. I didn't think it would appeal much to anyone who doesn't watch hockey. But as he went on more, I started to see that he wasn't really aiming for people outside of hockey fans makes it feel like it's going to be more like Dune, more appealing to people who like hockey or people who at least like the concept of hockey and like the sport. I think Joe's casting is pretty rough. I mean, sure, Adam Sandler might have a comeback role here, but probably not. He hasn't put any effort into any of his comedy comedy roles and how long he's been doing it. So I'm going to go ahead and give the win here to Johnny. All right, and yeah, so Johnny has the full one now, so I just gotta not. Got him right. You gotta beat me at Ready Player One, but I'm gonna yeah, beat got, you again, Joe. We got we got two live comments, I think. Two. On soon. Alice Cover says McDavid seems like he should be he should have played Ned Braddon and been the guy too good to get his hands dirty the whole movie until the end. And Spinner Vincent celebrity cameo should be someone most people have heard of. And I kind of okay, well, if you yeah, but like, unless you're making a hockey movie, and like, if you don't know hockey, that's too fucking bad for you. You're just dumb. So, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> you don't know hockey, you don't know Connor McDavid, and if you don't know hockey, you're a fucking dumb person. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like sorry, you really- spinner fucker. All right, um, I have to uh, piss. So you guys talk. We're coming up to Ready Player One. I, I initially was kind of a fan of this movie. I, I bought into the nostalgia, to the cool shining scene, to all the video game VR craziness. But it wasn't a great adaptation of the book. And I don't think it necessarily did a great job with the casting, a great job with the overall direction of the plot. So I'm really excited to see what they go with. Because I think it's a movie that could be primed to be done over again and done better. Did you see this one, Bobby? Hold on, sorry. Yeah, I did, and I actually I love the book, um, and the movie. Yeah, on first watch, I liked it. It it's fun, but you know what? It did not do the movie justice. So I'm excited to hear. Um, I think both of these uh, competitors have 
read the book or at least watched or at least listened to it. Um, so I'm excited to hear their pitches and see what they change. Um, because I was, especially after watching it a second time, I was disappointed with the way they took the characters and the casting choices of the movie. So, um, yeah, I like, I like the movie. It's okay. The shining scene is fantastic, but it's not great. I walked out of it the first time and I was super hyped and I went to my friend who hadn't read the book. I was like, Oh man, ready player one. It was actually pretty legit. And you should go watch it. And I went and watched it with him like a couple of days after I watched it the first time and all the charm wore off. It was like, sure. The shining thing is cool. Sure. There's a bunch of Ralph style cameos of things that I know, but in the end, I don't think the characters really held up very well. And I'm surprised it has yeah. a solid percentage of Rotten Tomatoes. I think it's right. I, I find it fun. I, I find it watchable. Um, but the the actual, uh, like the, okay, go backwards in a racing game, like that's, everyone knows to do that at least one time. Like th- there's things like that that I, that I think mess that up for me. Um, but Are we talking yeah. about Ready Player One? I understand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I'm excited to hear where you guys go. You both like you, but you guys both like the book. Um, I think everyone I here has read it. At least everyone here has read or listened to the book. So yeah, I, I audible that shit. Yeah. I don't read. You know, so yeah, same. I, I'm but excited. Like, the audible is fucking good as shit. Will Wheaton. Yeah. Hell yeah. Bobby, who's going first? Talking. Oh wait. Oh yeah, he's got to read the. All right, Ready Player One is a 2018 action sci-fi film directed by the usually great Steven Spielberg, not so great this time. It's set in 2045, where the planet is on the brink of chaos and collapse, but people find salvation in the Oasis, an expansive virtual reality universe created by the eccentric billionaire James Halliday. Halliday dies and promises his fortune and his immense wealth to whoever can discover his secret Easter egg that's hidden somewhere in his video game. Focus on young Wade Watts, who joins the contest. And you find himself becoming an unlikely hero in a reality-bending treasure hunt in the fantastical world of mystery. And he discovers danger and friends along the way. Wait, All Joe, right. is Spinner 58 your mom? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I That's told great. her to fuck off, essentially, so I feel bad now. <laughs> well done. Way to go, Johnny. Funny. All right, well, that's that's upsetting. Who's you like first, Joe? <laughs> it's your, wait, oh, it's my pick. Oh yeah, I'll go first, I guess. It's ready, player one. Whatever you bought. Yeah, I'll go first, I guess. All right. So my director is uh, John Favreau, who directed Iron Man, Elf. Uh, he's the head of the Mandalorian. Cowboys basically. versus aliens. Okay, not everyone is out there hitting Great home directors every time. So I feel the main two problems with the uh, original is it didn't show us enough of how the Oasis affected day-to-day life. Everything in the movie was kind of always about the hunt. And then the other is we didn't get enough time to see the five leads as friends. And so I decided to kind of remodel the five leads after the breakfast club because of how much the book loves the eighties. And I decided to have them all be in the same virtual class, even though they all live all around the world. Uh, So that is why at the start of the movie, they're kind of already best friends. So my Parcival slash Wade is kind of like the bad kid, wrong side of town. Uh, He's going to be played by Jeremy Ray Taylor, who is the uh, fat kid in It. Uh, And I looked him up and he's like 17 now. And it's like he's he's older than he was in It. I mean, obviously the movie was a few years ago, but he's definitely aged aged? Wow. But I'm just saying, like, don't picture him as he is in It. He's older now, like 
he's 17 now. He's not like 12. Or no, he thinned out, which is why they needed to CGI his entire body. Yeah. In but he didn't like fully thin out because the kid in the book was kind of supposed to be like heavier. He wasn't supposed to be like a model leading man look. Uh, anyway, so my Artemis, uh, Samantha, is going to be more of the popular girl. And that she's going to be played by Angoris Rice, who was in The Nice Guys and Spider-Man. My uh, H slash Helen is the outcast type, and she's going to be played by Lyric Ross from This Is Us. My show, who's uh, is like the nerdy type, is going to be played by Ian Ho, uh, who's only eight years old, but he's super smart and he's in advanced classes. And he was in A Simple Favor in The Handmaid's Tale. My Daito is going to be like the athlete type. He's going to be a baseball player, and he's going to be played by uh, Wu Sik Choi. And then my Nolan Sorrento is going to be John Hamm. Uh, so in the, in the movie, Sorrento's henchmen were called Sixers and I'm keeping that, but instead of an entire army of Sixers, they're basically going to just be an elite group of five gamers to go against our five heroes. I think it'll narrow down the focus more and not make it so, so hectic with so many characters. And, uh, I was thinking casting more nerdy actors like Will Wheaton as a shout out to the book. Uh, you have Johnny Galecki, Adam Brody, Anna Kendrick, and then uh, Tyler James, I think Williams from uh, who's the star of Everybody Hates Chris. Uh, and I would also spread out the timeline of the clue. So instead, like all the clues are basically like 80s references. I would make it be more pop culture references all throughout the decades, like the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2020s. Uh, and then the main difference, uh, the creator of the Oasis is not named James Halliday. Because the rule I used is including a character made famous by Tom Hanks, and I chose Josh Baskin, Tom Hanks' character from Big. So a slightly aged up Tom Hanks will be playing the creator of the Oasis. And that's my pitch. Okay. All right. Here's my pitch. All right. Most video game movies are shitty. Now, the last movie that I could say was maybe a good video game movie was Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. So my movie is going to be directed by Edgar Wright. Um, my Parzival, uh, as described in the in the book, uh, I think fits better uh, than Ty Sheridan, who's like a fucking like, honk, is uh, Jacob Adelon, who plays Ned from uh, the Spider-Man Homecoming movies. I think that fits the character much better um, as far as a, a nerdy, you know, overweight uh comic book fan and 80s fan and uh, video gamer. My Artemis uh, is going to be played by Beanie Feldstein from Booksmart, also um, Jonah Hill's cousin. My Sorrento, uh, I think they did a good job casting. That's probably the only good job casting they did in the original, but I'm going to cast my Sorrento as Ethan Hawke. Um, my H is going to play, be played by Raven Goodwin. Um, she is on the TV shows uh, Being Mary Jane and Smilf. Um, she was in one episode of uh, New Girl, but she played Desiree. She's super funny. Um, and my Ogden Morrow is going to be played by Jeff Bridges, which will be a fun little, um, you know, throwback to Tron. I think that's a good uh, a good thing to that. And my Halliday um, is going to be Nick Offerman because I think he plays that that character well. Um, and my rule is I'm going to use a celebrity cameo. So this is my second use of this rule, I believe. Um, so this is my, uh, rule against Joe. 
My president of the Oasis is Will Wheaton from Star Trek. Uh, he did the voice of the Audible uh, uh, version of Ready Player One. And, and my version of him will be him being the president voted for, and it will be his avatar, and then over himself a picture of actual Will Wheaton. I think that will be a good throwback to, to the movie, to the book, to everyone who's a fan of the series. So that's my celebrity cameo. And my pitch is easy. Um, I think the problem with the modern day version was uh, it felt like it needed to have movies incorporated. It felt like it needed to have people go in reverse on their like basically racing version. Like, who the fuck hasn't played Mario Kart where the first or second attempt hasn't gone in reverse? Like, that shit was dumb. So instead, we're going to stick with more so of what the original book does, but instead of, like, a Dungeon and & Dragons and, and, and some things that maybe people may, don't know a lot about, we're going to go the first key is found on a world that resembles Hyrule and it's going to be in like a Hyrule dungeon. And then when Percival gets in there, you know, I, I, the movie's going to start off with people challenging Ganon to a fight. They think for sure when I beat Ganon, it's going to be the key, but wrong. They have to challenge Ganon to a joust. So Percival challenges Ganon to a joust they go to play the game joust and instead of just them sitting at a council playing it, they go into the world. So it's Percival on like an ostrich and Ganondorf on a fucking like swan, like a crazy ass bird. And then you have like the fun little action scene, but you have them jousting each other of them fighting each other in that game style. So it's still a fun little action scene, but you also have, um, a callback to the book. You have the scene from the book, but I'm a little more exciting than I'm just sitting at an arcade game. And that's kind of how movie my movie is going to be. Whenever they go into the world to get keys, like, you know, when they go into war games, it's not going to be a play-by-play. I really like what they did with The Shining. Um, so Edgar Wright doing a version of war games where you have to defeat the computer in chess I think would be really fun and really cool where you have um, basically Percival playing a chess piece, you know, as like the queen or the king or whatever, trying to defeat the enemy computer, I think would be, would be, would be pretty cool. So instead of just them playing games or reenacting movies, it's going to stay very true to the original comic or the original book. Um, But the characters are going to, basically play versions of, of, of what they did in the book, which I, which I think would be, would be fun. Instead of the racing in the original one, you have it be like more like Mario Kart. Um, they enter at one point the world of like the original Mario Donkey Kong game where he's jumping over barrels. I think that stuff is more fun. The end battle takes place at like Bowser's castle instead of what it did take in. Um, but they, you know, still have Gundams and, and, and things like that. So it's still callbacks to the original thing. But I think the main thing that would make this version of Ready Player One better is if you made it more related to video games and less related to, I'm just going to list 80s culture. Like, Ready Player One is a very fun book. 
but that shit's never going to win a Pulitzer Prize because that shit's not very well written. It's a very poorly written, fun book. Um, so I'm going to make this movie just a fun Edgar Wright style movie with video game references and some old school movie references. You know, you have a lot of eighties and nineties in it. And I, and I think that's really all you need to do to make ready player one uh, better. So that's my pitch for this movie. All right. Well, my first question goes to Joe and my question is about the casting. You cast Artemis as like this very attractive, like popular pretty girl in school. And I think that is sort of the opposite of what she was in, yep. in the book. So what was your thought process there? I mean, my main thought process was I wanted more of a, I guess, like range of type of people in uh, my movie. And I didn't really have like an attractive, like kind of popular type of person in the movie. And so that one just made sense to me. Didn't need to. I felt I did just because I was like. I wanted to have like that more range of type of person instead of just being like, oh, they're all kind of just like the same. And my question for Johnny is that you you dinged on the Ready Player One book and the movie for just being like a list of culture references. And what makes yours different? It seems like it's just a list of video game references instead of culture. And I feel like that is sort of the same thing. Right, and just to add on to that really quickly, because this is pretty much my only comment, um, is that you you took, so Ganon, or Ganondorf, and you made that battle Joust again, which is from the book. But that battle would be much more interesting because it's basically tennis. If you said it is Ganondorf or Ganon with, like, Mario Tennis or something. So, like, kind of just your video game references, like, how are those more relevant? Than I don't what need they to make the them movie? super more relevant than what they did in the movie. But what the problem, what they did in the movie was, oh, we're going to have this big racetrack. But then, like, the thing that nobody thought of was going in reverse. Wrong. Everyone would have gone in reverse since the first battle. The thing that they think that they need to challenge Ganon to a fight and defeat him, but he just defeats everyone and no one can defeat Ganon, right? So then Percival is like, I don't need to fucking beat Ganon. I need to challenge him in joust. So then he challenges him and he beats him. So that's how he gets the key. I love that you're reading Taco Bell. Taco Bell is fantastic. Taco Bell Hell yeah. Uh, probably the best fast food ever made. Anyway. So like that's my that's my difference of of like that battle is like instead of just being like I'm gonna get fucking stepped on by Ganon, I'm gonna face Ganondorf playing an arcade game, but then they jump into the world, so it's not just them sitting there. It's 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 a fun little scene. So like that's that's my thing with uh with why it's a it's different than the movie now and it's different than the book in terms of making it more cinematic. I think you can. Take similar things, make it something that people are more aware of, but also take what's in the book and make it more exciting. All right. Well, let's hear you guys argue this out. Hmm. Okay. I mean, I mean, my main thing with Joe's is that, like, again, like, I, I think the biggest issue. You know, other than like the I'm going to go in reverse thing, which is maybe the worst thing in any movie, like as far as Ready Player One goes, like I I think that's so bad. 
The worst thing about that movie is the casting. And and I just don't like Joe's casting. And and I think that this this book and this story is so important as to who is casted and in what role. Um, I would love to see a big budget movie starring people that don't resemble the Hollywood I'm attractive and I'm a movie star type of people. And Joe just did that with his Artemis. I think uh, Beanie Feldstein is not only one of the funniest actresses in Hollywood right now, as she was amazing in Booksmart, um, she fucking fits the role of Artemis so perfectly. So like seeing her with Jacob Adelon, who's Ned in Spider-Man, who outside of this movie, if he, if he wasn't the star of Ready Player One for the rest of his career will just be like the friend character, like the Ned friend character in Spider-Man. Like I want to see him get a lead role in an Edgar Wright movie because he fits the tone. He's super funny. He also can be a serious actor and, and he looks like Percival. He looks like Wade from, from the book. Um, and, and same with age, like Raven Goodwin is an overweight young black actress. How many lead roles is she going to get? Probably not many because Hollywood's fucked up, but she's in being uh, Mary Jane. She's in Smilf. She was in new girlfriend episode. She's super funny and she has the look for H and she can be a big role in what could potentially be a big money-making movie with a big director. Um, the other thing Edgar Wright uh, basically did fucking, he was like, what can I do to make the most controversial uh, problematic cast ever? in uh baby driver and in this movie he is like i'm gonna cast people that are cool and not uh you know sexual molesters so i think he's due for like a good movie with a good cast yeah well the thing is you hammer you hammered my uh spawn because you're like oh hollywood's never gonna make an nc-17 James Gunn movie, but then your defense of your movie is like, well, Hollywood would never make this type of movie, so that's why I pitched it my way, is because Hollywood should make this type of movie. And so Except Hollywood, because like, anything Edgar Wright, like Scott Pilgrim versus the world, before you looked at that, that was a movie that everyone could look at and be like, yeah, Hollywood would never make that. If Edgar Wright is attached, no matter what the movie is, you know, as long as it's not fucking NC-17, an Edgar Wright movie is going to make you know, be made. So like, yeah, put Edgar Wright, not ready player one, we're going to make it. Yeah. Well, like that was the MCU and it didn't connect with the rest of the universe. That's the only reason that didn't get made. That's not because of Edgar Wright, you know, being like, Oh, you know, we don't want Edgar Wright to do this. It was because he doesn't want to do what we want him to do. Ready player one doesn't have to connect to any other universe. It doesn't have to connect to anything That's else. It can just be like, see- hey, here's a fun little movie that Edgar Wright makes. It's and Scott Pilgrim like versus the world, but to a little higher budget, to a little higher scale. And like, I know Scott Pilgrim was based on a comic and all that, but do we want to see Edgar Wright just do adaptations? I'd rather see Edgar Wright do things that are completely original of his own brain. Except, no, you don't. Like because Edgar Wright, Edgar Wright made Baby Driver, which I'm going to be honest, is a shitty movie full of bad cast. Like, he fucking pitched Alden Aldenreich, who is a creeper, and he cast Kevin Spacey, who is a child molester. And the movie was fun the first time I saw it. And when you rewatch it, it's not that great. 
So like, okay, like he needs a comeback. I get it. He needs, he needs something like that's a controversial statement. I understand people like baby driver, but like baby driver is not a good movie. It was super fun because the soundtrack matched up with the action, but no, fuck that. Make another movie like Scott Pilgrim, make, make fucking ready player one. Like you're, I don't know. Like, so is he Hollywood going to make any movie Edgar Wright wants to make, or does he need a comeback? Because now you're arguing he, both. They're going to make Wright. anything he wants to make because he's Edgar Wright, but he does need a comeback in the eyes of all of the people that didn't like Baby Driver. And I know plenty of people like Baby Driver. I know it's not the most, you know, respectable thing to say that Baby Driver sucked, but like, come on now. Anyone who, like, Baby Driver. Rewatch Baby Driver. That you know who doesn't need to come good. back? You know who's on the top of the world about ready to release a show everyone's anticipating? John Favreau. And you know what? John Favreau made Cowboys versus Aliens the last time he tried to make a movie like this. Like John Favreau, when's the last fucking yeah, time he like made a good movie? Ago. Lion King? Like, come on, man. Like, fuck that. Like, Lion King was a stupid movie too. Like, no yeah, one cares Jungle about was John good. Favreau. Jungle Book. Jungle Book was good years and years ago. And then he's like, nah, four years ago. Yeah. Years and years. That that <laughs> could be four years. Whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, all right. We're at like, we're, uh, version, I we're mean, definitely at the longest. We're episode almost we at three it. hours. It's probably the longest episode. We should probably yeah, we've the director yeah. and I'm, I'm pretty sure I know where I'm going to go, but if you guys have any last statements you haven't brought up yet, here's your chance. Uh, I'm good. Yeah, I, I don't know. My, my my one thing is that probably everyone disagrees with me. Baby Driver, Baby Driver sucks, and you're dumb if you like that movie. <laughs> All right, Bobby. Right. Any last thoughts before we give out our judgment here? Uh, Johnny's an idiot, and I love Baby Driver. I'm going Joe. Baby Driver's bad. He likes a problematic actors, and that movie's bad. Well, you know, I did like Baby Driver, and I was a fan of Ed Wright as the director for this. Uh, my biggest problem with Joe's is the casting. I think that you miss the point of the Artemis character if you make her like the yep. girl. And I think if you wanted to go for the the sort of uh, Breakfast Club feel, you should have gone for the Ali Sheedy character and made her like the social outcast girl who's in this virtual world who's living. That's what I want with more with H. But yeah, well, no shit. That's how both characters should have been. You fucked up. And you're making the enemies the Sixers, but there's only five of them. So, like, why are they called the Sixers? Because uh, all of their numbers are like six. <laughs> It's like all their numbers are like six, six, six. Yeah, but none of their I, numbers I, I are six, 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 Okay, I forgot to hit on that. Joe is so bad at this shit. That is a bad casting. There should be a million Sixers. That's the whole point of the bad guys, that they're, like, not overcomable. And Joe was like, I'm going to make, like, a few of them. No, wrong, bad. Yeah, I, I forgot all my points when Johnny said he didn't like Baby Driver, but I would probably go Johnny. <laughs> yeah, of course you do, because rewatch Baby Driver, it's not good. Anyway. I, I did. It's great. Doesn't hold up. Made a better pitch. If you like Kevin Spacey, it's good. <laughs> I'm going to have to. After and a terrible person. <laughs> I'm going to have to throw a shot here. I think Edgar Wright is the, for the director here. <clears throat> she would just miss the ball on the casting. I get going for the Breakfast Club vibe, but I don't think you use the tropes that accurately. I think you missed a lot of the core themes of the characters, and I think that Johnny just captured like the essence of the book in in a better way. I fucking beat Joe six to three two times in a row. Get that fucker's record out of here. I'm way better than him. 
better co-creator of the show. I need to pick bet movies I care about next time. And yeah, we we'll pick too many Johnny movies we care about. about. And just not just a list of movies Johnny cares about that I'm like, yeah, I could do that one. I or, was so or hammered I didn't remember a single movie you picked last time. Alright. We had a good I wrote all my pitches in the last right. hour. Hey, let's let's wrap it up. We got we are pretty much at three hours. So I mean Johnny, oh, that was awesome. You did great, but we're approaching yeah. three hours. Johnny right. kind of nailed it here. Uh, good, good run here. Joe had a bit, a bit of a comeback, but in the end, he just didn't grab it. So let's go some final goodbyes here, Bobby. Uh, what have you been watching? If you want to give a plug to anybody else and say some goodbyes. Uh, I'm pretty much watching The Boys season two right now. I'm in the middle of episode Fuck Amazon. Four. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I, I'm in the middle of episode four. I had to pause it to do this podcast or the show. Wait, so. did they release the next few episodes? Yep, episode four came out today. I'm halfway through it. Um, but it's great so far. Um, that's what I'm watching right now. And, uh, yeah, just keep keep watching our show. You know, rate us, like us, subscribe. And, um, yeah, uh, I hope you enjoy our pitches of these crazy movies. All right, Johnny, you're our victor this week. People are bringing us some praise to you in the comments. Uh, you got any final words I right, you want to give? My final words are, I'm good at this shit. I created this show. Joe and I both created this show. But I am uh, excited. I uh, basically did all my pitches today. I was very nervous going into it because I was like, I didn't do fucking enough research into these things. But I have passionate arguments. And uh, I think that's what helps me uh, a lot. And uh, also, I've been watching The Boys, but Amazon can go fuck themselves because it's 2020. Release every episode at once. Don't do this weekly bullshit. That's horseshit. So any episode, any show that releases their bullshit weekly is a bad show. So that's all I got to say. Also, fuck Baby Driver. Everybody should go check out Baby Driver. You know, check out. uh, Baby Driver. Fuck Uh, Baby Driver. Baby Driver. Great. The boy is great. Go watch them both. Show you the boy is great, but wait until the full season comes out. Don't waste your time until then. Yeah, my thing is uh, next time I got to make sure I pick movies that I'm actually passionate about. The only three movies I give half, I mean, I like the raid, but the only movies I'm truly passionate about on this list were Back to the Future, My Cousin Vinny, and On the Waterfront. And I'm pretty sure those are the three movies I won. Not entirely sure. But, yeah, but first of all, you should have lost. Back to the Future. That was a no. bad judge decision. No. Your movie was not Back to the Future. I can end this broadcast at any time. This so movie, this anyone had nothing else to so say, hard. I, I, I'm going to go ahead and just... This episode was so 